Honorable members, is this audible? Okay. The first item on the order paper today is questions addressed to ministers in cluster one, peace and stability. There are four supplementary questions on each question. Parties have given an indication of which questions their members wish to pose a supplementary question. Adequate notice was given to parties for this purpose. This was done to facilitate participation of members who are connecting to the sitting through the virtual platform. The members who will pose supplementary questions will be recognized. In allocating opportunities for supplementary questions, the principle of fairness among others has been applied. If a member who is supposed to ask a supplementary question through the virtual platform is unable to do so due to technological difficulties, the party whip on duty or any member designated will be allowed to ask the question on behalf of their member. The first question today has been asked to the, by the Honorable Mare to the Minister of Defense and Military Veterans, the Honorable the Minister. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. House Chair, South Africa enjoys defense diplomatic relations with countries across the continent, across all the continents of the world. In this regard, in recent months, we've had engagements with our counterparts in the UK, in the People's Republic of China, in Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire, in Ghana, to quote but a few. These engagements have been with the view to achieve the deepening of our relationships as a country with these other countries, especially in the context of the memoranda of understandings between ourselves and them. Even where we have not had formal defense relations, we continue to engage with other countries, sometimes to showcase South Africa, to see also what the other countries may gain from us, but also to see what we can gain from them. In this context, South Africa and Russia do enjoy cordial relations, with both countries having signed a number of military-related bilateral agreements, which are yielding benefits for both countries. 
it was similarly to gain a deeper understanding of the most pressing matters of the security situation in the Middle East and North Africa, the phenomena of the colors of revolution and the ways in, um, to combat international terrorism. The acceptance of the invitation, House Chair, was seen as a crucial step to articulate South Africa's position on the need for the maintenance of international peace and security. As per the provisions of the UN Charter, the invitation was to further use the opportunity, firstly for me to meet up with my counterpart, the Russian Defense Minister General Soji, and other ministers of defense who were over there on this World Conference on Peace. The emphasis we made at the conference was a consistent effort as per the AU's Agenda 2063 on the silencing of the guns. As stated in my opening comments, we engaged all nation states from across the continent. And we would similarly have accepted an invitation had it come from the state of Israel given the decades long of conflict that, it, that is ongoing there against Israel and Palestine. I wish to also state that South Africa was not attending this Moscow International Conference on Security and Peace for the first time. We were part of the third conference. We were part of the fifth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, and the last one, the 10th conference. So one wonders why it was so important to ridicule our, pro, our, our attendance on this particular one. It is important that we continue to engage with other nations, but we must also, House Chair, never run away from dealing with issues of toxic national interests. No country's national interest is so important that it can be used to oppress other nations. And that is the point we made at the floor of that conference. That is the point that we said, without fear, without favor, we will stand up for what this country stands for. Dialogue, negotiations, fighting for peace, and making sure that all people in this world are equal. The easy way out, the cowardly way out is to choose sides. It is to go with those that we deem are mighty in the world and to ignore those who do not have a voice to speak for peace, to speak even when they are raising little white flags. We want peace, we want to negotiate and there is no voice there. So that is why I went there. Will South Africa and the Defense Force gain anything from it? Yes. Yes. As I said, we have a number of agreements between the two countries. Our children are studying and being trained in Russia. Yes, we're part of BRICS. Next year, South Africa hosts. And therefore, to miss the opportunity to miss with the Minister of Defense when next year we must be talking defense to defense. 
would have been something that boggles the mind. Yes, we were also following up on our invitation as to whether Russia is still coming to South Africa for the AAD. And yes, we have also invited Ukraine and both countries have agreed to come. So we also use the opportunity because we're not speaking only for South Africa in that conference. We actually spoke on behalf of Africa. We spoke for those voices that cannot reach those conferences. And yes, it was important for me, especially as a woman, to talk about peace in Africa and to call for the reform of the UN Security Council. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Before I call on the Honorable Mare, let's just remind ourselves, uh, Honorable Members, according to Rule 142, we know that uh, the first uh, response from the minister is four minutes. And subsequent and supplementary questions is two minutes for the minister to respond. And uh, the member who put the first original uh, question has an opportunity of two minutes, while subsequent members only ha have one minute each. So I just want that to let's maybe not forget and uh, continue with the preambles. Because when the mean two minutes lapses or, a, or your one minute lapses and you haven't asked your question, it would be unfair for me to stop you. So let's help one another and make sure that we stick to what the rules are saying in terms of the time that we are given. Thank you very much. The Honorable Mare. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Minister, for your response. Um, we all know that in, not only in politics, but international relations, perceptions play a big role. So in this specific time and age, there's a perception that the ANC government is, is, is not um, siding with the, with, the, um, with the citizens of Ukraine, but rather with the, um, the, the invaders, the Russians. Minister, South Africa has long-standing economic agreements and military cooperative partnerships with countries like the U.S., the U.K., Germany, and Ukraine, have now been compromised. It's not being punished with high fuel, grain, and other prices because of the Russian invasion. Africa has also fell victim to the senseless invasion. Human rights of ordinary Ukrainians are unashamedly abused and trampled upon by the Russians every day. Last week, we learned about the proposed legislation from the caucus, from the Congress in the U.S. that would compel Washington to act against African countries aiding Russia. Minister, how will the ANC government's perceived open support for Russia's war against Ukraine as a sovereign country, including a visit to Moscow, affect our military and economic partnerships with our major, major trading partners, and Minister Kang, the Minister informed the House on the steps that you will be taking and your department, including meetings with your counterparts to ensure that these military partnerships, our foreign relations and economic partnerships are not irretrievably damaged. I thank you. 
Thank you very much. I have a screen here that is giving me the time. Uh, so be patient. Mr. Marais had his own two minutes and he left some few seconds. So don't think it's too, it's too much because I said it. I have good finding. Okay, the Honorable the Minister. Thank you, Chair. The Honorable Marais says the ANC government compromises South Africa. That is not true. The Honorable Mare also says that perception, perception is anything, interpretation of what is fact and what sometimes is emotional and not necessarily fact is there also. Their relationship between South Africa and Ukraine cannot depend on the relationship between South Africa and Russia and vice versa. We will not compromise our speaking out against war. We speak out even against the strongmen of Africa and we still need to do business, we still need to coexist with them in this in this continent. I don't have to answer to you. I do not have to answer to you. I am you are good. But perhaps you think that when you look at me, you look at a kitchen maid. Yes, because your attitude is always like that. You are condescending. You look down upon the black people in this house. And I'm getting fed up with it. It will dialogue because you Honor cannot control your memory. Honorable Minister. Honorable. Okay. Is that a point of order? Thank you. Uh, there is a point of order. You still have your, your minutes. Thank you very much. Honorable. Order. Honorable members, I don't know what has happened. I can hear this noise. Please, let me hear. Thank you, Honorable uh, House Chairperson. I want to request that our, our executive be, be protected. The minister is responding to questions. But the Honorable McPherson is distracting her. Oh. Can the minister be heard in this house as a response to this question? Thank you very much. Okay. That is true. Uh, that order is sustained. It's what is supposed to happen. Honorable McPherson, yes? Thanks, Chair. This is not a, a, a high school auditorium where members have to sit here and be quiet when ministers are giving responses. Members are allowed to heckle, but they're not allowed to interject. If the minister is so touched by her inability to refute Order. Putin, uh-uh. that is for her to deal with. Honorable McPherson, before you proceed, can you withdraw that, that the minister's inability, because we are not here about that. You can't say that. Sorry, the minister Jay, was, you can't say that. Please. So her unwillingness, her unwillingness. No, if, no. If she that's not, a, that's semantics. Not, don't do that, Honorable McPherson. Don't do that. Chair. Actually, I ruled that, that, that order is correct. On what I basis? don't want you to explain but yourself. Rule, you are not bringing in a point of order. You are trying to explain yourself. 
So I'm going to stop you just there. But we're not going to sit here and be quiet just because ministers yeah, don't like questions. I'm going to like stop questions. you just there. Because I thought you were coming in with a point of order. I didn't hear what was happening. So no, the order kick was him out. Call security to kick him out. Why don't you do that? He's not listening okay. to you. Take security Honorable to kick Minister, him out. Minister, you still have your 38 seconds. Can you proceed if you want to? We will continue, honorable members, to put the interest of South Africa first. We will continue to speak out against conflict. We will continue to take every opportunity we get to get that message across, irrespective of whether people like it or don't. We'll continue to stand up and say the unpleasant and to say we support dialogue and peace. Thank you. The next follow-up question will come from the Honorable Mutle. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Uh, Honorable Ministers, the activities of the ANC-led government in international relations are guided by the foreign policy principles of the ANC and government, which, amongst other things, includes the principle of a multilateral approach to resolving international conflict. This means that uh, the preference for dialogue or negotiation to resolve international conflict as opposed to war. Can the minister reflect on how South Africa used the opportunity in the 10th Moscow Conference on International Security to engage and advance its call for a negotiation or dialogue in resolving the a conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Honorable Chair, the President of this country, Rada Mapos, was amongst the first to call up and raise his hand, being prepared to mediate and to bring the two parties together. The Minister of International Relations, Mepando, has followed suit in expressing how we feel. This country is part of the AU. This country pushes dialogue, negotiations, peacemaking, and peacekeeping at the AU level. South Africa has been on the floor of the UN, pushing for, one, the reform of the Security Council, simply because for as long as you have few countries having a veto power, you are unable to really realize multilateralism to the extent, which we think that as South Africa, we must stand very firm on. So we believe in multilateralism. We believe that all the institutions that make peace, that enable nations to talk together, that enable people to talk, Inkosi Kebekulu, you are the next to ask the supplementary question. Honorable Chairperson, this is uh, Singh here. 
and Koshi is having connectivity problems. Can I take the question? Proceed. Oh, I see. No, Honorable Tabekulu, it's there. He's trying I see to he's talk. there now. He sent us a different message. Anyway, over to him. Next time, try to talk to your members first before you come in. Oh, thank you, Chair. We did so a few minutes ago. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, um... Proceed. It froze. Um... Sorry, uh, uh, report on my category. Uh, but would that, uh, 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 I think after this, you must get a better space, but try to, 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 to bring your question in. May, may I then request that um, uh, Orab Singh take, take over because, uh, as I've said, it's wind here and the, the, okay, the, the network no is not good. Problem. No problem. Please. Proceed, yeah. Honorable Singh. <laughs> thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, Minister, thank you for your response to the question. It's quite ironical that uh, this conference of leaders, defense ministers, was in to promote peace. Now, whoever is right or wrong, the actions in the Ukraine territory far from promote peace. In fact, what we see is war, we see destruction of property and lives. I'd like to know, Honorable Minister, whether the advice that you gave to both sides will have positive results. I mean, what is your sense from the discussions? Do you think peace will prevail in that region in the interest of both countries and in the interest of all of us in the rest of the world? Thank you. The Honourable the Minister. Interestingly, uh, the same question was put to me by my counterpart in the UK before I went to Russia. I explained the position of South Africa. In our discussion in uh, the UK and in Russia, there is an appetite to talk. However, remember that in any in any conflict, both parties must be able to frankly want to sit down and talk. We have offered, I know that uh, uh, the alternative to the South African president that is being eyed to try and uh, bring the two parties together is, is, is tacky. And we hope that when people continue to talk to the two countries to sit down and talk, that they should talk. Nobody likes what is happening. Nobody enjoys the loss of life. Nobody wants to see children dying. Nobody wants to see women crying. So we will continue to say, find a way to coexist in this world. Find a way to talk peace. Find a way to resolve things without killing. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. The next follow-up question and the last will be asked by the Honorable Sheikh Imam. Thank you, Honorable uh, House Chair. Honorable Minister, allow me to thank you and congratulate you on your decision to attend this invitation by the Russian Republic. I am not sure why people in this house particularly believe that the Russians are the perpetrators. Indeed, it is the other way around. It is the Ukraine that has been provoking the Russian for a long period of time in collusion with the United States of America. Now, Minister, can you tell us in your engagement with them, 
you are clearly must have got the perspective from the Russians as to exactly what is happening. So we can get a true idea. I know and understand what is happening there. Many of our people don't. Could you perhaps tell us in your engagement with them what you believe as far as the Russians are concerned is the root cause of the problem? I know who it is, the Russians. It is the Ukrainians together with the United States of America and others. Can you tell us more? Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister, Honorable Members, previously we really pleaded with you to say that this room it's small. So you are hacking if you are too loud. I can't even hear and I won't be able to assist you in terms of uh, coming up of an order because you are making noise. I can't even hear the member that is speaking. Okay. The Honorable the Minister. Honorable Chair, I'm not sure I can um, say what other people have said in this house and not being seen to be um, carrying tapes. But I do know that, I do know that whatever it is, we must take it right back to NATO. We must take it right back to the inability of the UN to intervene when it should intervene. And that is why we have been calling for the relook at the, the, the power relations within the UN, the big brother and little sister syndrome there. We, we must also be looking at the, 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 the power that is vested in the five countries that make up the Security Council. We must also insist that when, when the UN was formed, we thought that all members of the UN would be equal members, and that each voice from each country and each part of the world would have an equal say. And therefore, until we can actually say that that UN is so reformed that it recognizes even the smallest of nations as an equal member of the living population, human population, then I would say that, uh, honorable member, I will not carry tales from what the other counterparts have said. But I do know that Africa was united in calling for peace. I do know that there was no resistance and, and negative publicity from the, from the Russians when we stood up calling for peace. I do know that South Africa is leading in castigating as well, going to deliver a message which they should actually be, be hoping that we deliver in droves to make sure that the people of Ukraine do not continue to suffer there. As to what the real issue is between Ukraine and Russia, I sometimes think it is not in our best interest as this house to find fault. It is in our best interest to force the two parties to a part, to a table where we can find Thank fault. you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. We now proceed. The next question, question number three, five, seven has been asked by the Honorable Yako to the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. The Honorable, the Minister. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, House Chairperson. I've been informed uh, that the National Prosecuting Authority has not yet initiated criminal prosecutions against any persons allegedly involved in the theft committed at the Palapala 
impound. As the criminal investigations in respect of the allegations are still underway, the relevant director of public prosecution's office will commence assessing the evidence once the case docket is formally handed over to the Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation. The, the, by, the, by, the, by the Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation, the DPCI. Thank you, uh, House Chairperson. Thank you very much. Mayako? Oh, Honorable no, Chesa. No, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, uh, uh, for giving us the opportunity. Uh, Minister, several cases have been opened against uh, the President himself for having kept unauthorized uh, foreign currency under mattresses in his farm for abducting and assaulting his domestic work for hiding the theft of these illicit funds in his farm. It has since come to the fore that he also used the crime, crime intelligence to track down those who robbed his illicit funds and even colluded with his counterparts in Namibia uh, to track those, those who stole from him. What would this amount, what, what would the failure of the criminal justice system to hold Mr. Ramaphosa accountable for these crimes to the nation's confidence in the impartiality of the NPA, uh, let alone uh, the abuse of women, uh, the domestic worker that was abducted by, by, by the president using the state coffers? The honorable, the Minister. Thank you very much, um, House Chair. The criminal justice system has not yet been on the matter. It is taking due course. The matter the National Prosecuting Authority for an assessment and a decision to be made. And I've just said uh, here, House Chairperson, that the NPA has not yet received the docket to make a decision whether to prosecute or not. And House Chairperson, there must be no political pressure on the NPA or on any investigative authority. While we do understand that certain things need to be done expeditiously, these institutions are aware of the pressure, they are aware of the need to handle this matter expeditiously. But political pressure on its own is also interference. If you don't want the executive to interfere, allow the due process to take its care, to take its, its course, allow the, the uh, to, to unfold. It is what ourselves as the executive are expected to do. We expect also our colleagues in the political environment to respect these uh, processes, which has been provided for in the constitution of this country and the laws that bind all of us. So let's give this opportunity a life of its own so that due processes can take 
place properly without any fear, favor, or prejudice. Thank you, Earl. Thank you, Minister. The next follow-up question, the Honorable Ngola. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Perhaps uh, a correct question would have been, does uh, the Department of Justice and Correctional Services have a role to play in this most problematized Palapala incident, particularly giving cognizance to the provisions of the Constitution, Section 179? Thank you very much. The Honorable, the Minister, would you want to respond? Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I was a chairperson. The investigation in the country and the role to preserve peace and enforce the law in terms of the section Honorable Mora has stated best with the police. The NPA's role in terms of the constitution, their role is to prosecute without any fear or favor. And that prosecution is vested with the National Prosecuting Authority in terms of the constitution of the country and in terms of the NPA Act. In fact, uh, House Chairperson, it is criminality in terms of Section 8 of the NPA Act to interfere with the work of the NPA. It's a crime which carries a sentence of 10 years. If there is any form of interference from anyone, so the role of the Department of Justice in this regard, it is to help and allow the NPA in terms of the processes of budgets and so forth. But the department does not prosecute. Neither does the minister prosecute. It is only an authority that is vested with the NPA. In fact, House Chairperson, this is the only exclusive jurisdiction of the NPA. No any other person has the power vested in him to prosecute. This is deeply entrenched in their rule. If there could be any role that we could play, could be on the question that is still coming on the role of the central authority in liaising with the international community on behalf of law enforcement agency in the country. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you. Honorable Jafta. It's your opportunity to ask your supplementary question. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair, I think the Minister has partially answered my question because I just wanted to know if would it not affront the separation of powers doctrine for the Minister of Justice and Correct of Justice and Correctional Services to give the instructions to the NPA or receive briefings on the outcome of criminal complaints, would that not amount to interference? Thank you. Honorable Minister? Yeah. Indeed, um, it does amount to interference if I instruct the NPA to prosecute anyone. Because that is something they have to take a decision on informed by the facts and the law on their own. Nothing else and nothing of any other consideration. And they have to do it in terms of the constitution without any fear, favor, or prejudice to anyone. As I said earlier, and I'm, I'm putting it for emphasis, uh, House Chairperson, it is the exclusive terrain 
of the National Prosecuting Authority. No one else can do it. And I must also, for the purpose of emphasis, to state that interference with the work of the MPA is a criminal offense. Anyone who interferes can be sentenced to 10 years or for any other thing. And there is no one who can instruct them to, to, to prosecute uh, anyone. That is the, what the Constitution says, and that is what the NPA Act uh, says. Thank you uh, very much. If uh, honorable members want to know my job's description, they can check uh, from the statement of the president what he has mandated me to do. It is to come here to account to this house. The fact that they do not read my rule, I want to forgive them for that. They also Thank you, Honorable Mulder FJ. Thank you, Honorable uh, House Chair. Order, Honorable Members. Yes, proceed, Honorable Mulder. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Um, my question to the Honorable Minister is if the Honorable Minister is of opinion that the time frames and chain of events after the Parapala game form breaking and theft has come under the attention of the National Prosecution Authority could be defended as reasonably fair and effective to ensure effective prosecution. Thank you, House Chair. Honorable the Minister, thank you, Honorable Munda. Yeah, thank you uh, very much, um, uh, House Chair. As you are aware, the matter is still under investigation. It might go to the NPA, depending on the outcome of the investigation. And it will also go to the courts, depending on whatever is the outcome. It will be for the courts to, to judge the processes. But from our side as a department, we always encourage all the role players in the criminal justice system, the NPA, the judiciary, the clerks, and everyone who plays the role to ensure that when a matter comes to the space, there is expeditious processes that enables matters to be handled as quickly as possible. But it is still important for me to remind the honorable member that the matter is still under investigation. It is not on the table of the NPA for assessment or for taking any prosecutorial decision. Thank you, House Jefferson. Thank you. We now proceed and go to question. 327, asked by the Honorable Peacock to the Minister of Police. The Honorable, the Minister. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. The South African Police Service continues to implement the Departmental Gender-Based Violence, GPDF, and Sexual Offenses, GPDSO, action plan to ensure that GPDF and sexual offenses are addressed through a coordinated approach by all self-disciplines. GPVSO action plan consists of the following five focus areas. One, enhancing policy framework. Two, training and development of members. Three, enhancing accountability and organizational performance of GPVSOs. Four, prevention of gender-based violence and sexual offenses. Five, response, care, and victim support. One of the key deliverables of the GPVSO action plan is to enhance accountability and organizational performance 
at police stations in order to deal with GBV uh, at that level. GBV desks were, were, were conceived and a mechanism of ensuring coordination between services provided to victims and the handling of offenders in the GBV cases. The desks are aimed at ensuring that victims receive appropriate services which are sensitive to the needs of the GPVH. GPVH desks have been established at all police stations across the country. The GPVH desk implementation guidelines were approved on the 17th June 2022, and the GPVH desk implementation plan was approved on the 30th June 2022. An audit is currently underway to assess the functionality of the GPVH desk with a view to identifying challenges and enhancing the performance of the GPVS. It should also be noted that designated victim-friendly rooms are available at 1,017 police stations for purposes of ensuring that statements are taken in private to protect the dignity of the victim. Alternatively, arrangements are made to private engagement with victim and those police stations that do not have designated VFRs. SEPS strives to enhance performance through adequately resourcing invest investigations. All police stations are adequately resourced with the sexual assault evidence collection kits. 5%, which is 375% of the new entrants currently undergoing training, will be allocated to the FCS. For area of the GPVS or action plan requires SEPS to implement GPV-related prevention program and raise awareness. Provinces conduct a 365-days campaign, which is a program that runs throughout the year. Campaign includes community-based engagements such as crime dialogue, school-based engagement, door-to-door engagements, radio TV talks, and visual information pamphlets are also contributed at shopping centers, malls, and taxi rents. The campaign is conducted in partnership with the CPFs and the and faith-based organization, traditional leaders. Community engagements aim to educate communities by building insight into the factors that contribute GPV and F. Identify and address barriers to reporting and inform communities on processes and procedures followed by GPV cases so that they can contribute positively Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable Peacock. Thank you, House Chair. Uh, Minister, the fight against gender-based violence and femicide cannot be won by police officers alone without the involvement of the community. Are there programs in the police to enhance community and civil society involvement in the fight against gender-based violence and femicide. Honorable Minister. That's very correct that uh, this war cannot be the police or the law enforcement only. You, you take it from the statistics we have that almost 50% of abused, social, uh, sexually attacked and raped women happen in their own houses and the places where they're supposed to be safe and attacked by the people that are supposed to protect them, like fathers, uncles, grandfathers, stepfathers, and all that. 
So it's important that not just communities out there, but families themselves and those family structures should be the part of fighting at this stage. Indeed, that's why we involve everybody, CPFs, churches, traditional, and all other structures to work together to achieve that. Thanks. Thank you. The next follow-up question will be asked by the Honourable Whitfield. Thank you very much, House Chair. The latest crime statistics once again prove that South Africa has become a war zone for women and children. In the last quarter, 855 women and 243 children were murdered. 11,734 cases of assault with GBH were reported against women and 1,670 against children. Yet in spite of these horrific statistics, we continue to hear stories of women being turned away from police stations when trying to open cases against abusive partners. We hear of female SAPS members who are harassed by their male counterparts. And we know that all sexual aff- of all sexual offences reported, less than 10% of cases are finalised due largely to shoddy police work or as a result of the delays in providing DNA evidence. In 2019, President Ramaphosa committed 1.6 billion rand to fight GBV. Can the minister tell us how much of this money was actually allocated to the police and how it was in fact used to fight GBV? Thank you. The Honourable, the Minister. Jefferson, as the Honourable Member says, we concur that the scourge against women and children is something terrible all we must fight. But he also concurs himself that uh, some of these victims perpetrate other family members, their fathers, their uncles, that includes even young kids. 50% of, around 50% would be from those kind of people. Therefore, it's still around for all ourselves to say, let, let's, let's work with the families and the communities out there. The money that the member speaks about that was allocated by the president, it could have come uh, in, the, in the police uh, through treasurer. But as the, as, the, as the department ourselves, on the top 30 stations that are the worst affected, we have allocated 100 million extra to those stations to fight the scourge and also 62 million extra to the same station to make sure that they have immediate budget that does not follow the red tape of responding to things like rape kids and training the people that are supposed to work for the station. There, is a, there are resources and those resources are increasing in the allocation of the immediate station to deal with the gender-based violence issues. Thanks. Thank you. We proceed to the Honorable Shembeni. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Minister, me and you should agree that no amount of comfort you can provide to victims will lead to successful prosecution. For as long as a victim arrives at the police station in that GPV desk you have created, but sit there and wait for an FCS detective to start the process, which after four every day, there's only one detective on duty, on standby, 
servicing more than five police stations. And you can imagine the number of victims that comes out of those five police stations, meaning which he can, he or she can service two of those victims efficiently because you know the process started the police station to the hospital to the T2Z. They can't drop the victim on the way and then back home. Throughout the night, if they work hard, they can only service one victim. Now, if the FCS units are still in a cluster form and not allocated and situated at each and every police station, we are not going to win the war of victims and GBV. Now, the question is, when are we getting the FCS units in each and every police station to be situated there, just like all the ordinary detectives that are in each and every police station, Thank so you. that we can all fight this war? Thank you. Uh, I must remind that uh, we talked of time. I gave you the extra seconds to, to just complete that. I'm not doing that anymore, colleagues, please. I'm going to cut you. Let's stop with the preambles. Cut our preambles to be within time. It's important that you get answers, but let's also respect the rules. The Honorable the Minister. Thanks very much, Chair. I know that the member asked the question is very familiar with uh, the situation she's asking about. What we have, in her absence from that uh, environment, we have grown. For instance, 9,000 new members have been trained to be at the police station desk, to be dedicated to the work of taking the statement even before that member is allocated to the FCS. But in the answer that just has been given, more than 300 new recruits that will come out of the college on the 15th of December are already dedicated and recruited to go to this environment. But before every station has the FCS, we are allocating, we are allocating the member uh, to deal with that. But more than that, we have recruited new students that have finished their law degrees to be specifically trained to be at these top 30 stations so that they take a very informed, a very solid statement even before they are handed over to the FCS. So lot is around, lot around this uh, kind of sketch is done to make sure that we are solid from the very ground so that those cases will see the light of the day when they go to court. Thanks very much. Thank you. The last question will come from the Reverend Swart. Thank you, House Chair. And thank you, Honourable Minister, for concurring that GBV violence is a scourge in society and for the comprehensive plans in place to try to address it. And I'm also sure that you would agree that the DNA lab issue plays a crucial role in the fight against crime and that there are so many matters such as rape, sexual assault, attempted murder, and other contact crimes that are dependent on the results from those labs. Now, Honourable Minister, you indicated in March that the backlog will be cleared in six months, which will be in October. We're not there yet. And while the ACDP appreciates the hard work done at the labs, we do, with up to 16-hour shifts, According to the SAPs themselves, the national backlog stood at 143,795 in July and 
maybe night has changed, maybe night has reduced. But will the Honourable Minister indicate whether it will be possible to clear the backlog or, or significantly reduce it in the month's time, given that there's an additional influx of approximately 18,000 new entries per month? And of course, given that that backlog leads to backlogs in court processes and that we know justice delayed is justice denied. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Thank you. The Honourable the Minister. Thank you, Mr. I will start at the tail end of the, of the question. The NPA and the South African Police Service have agreed that those cases that are read before court only delayed by the DNA can be fished up so that the 14,200 of those cases have been done. Uh, to, uh, as a collaboration between uh, NPA and, and the laboratories, SEPs. But in April, we had 541, uh, 541 backlog. Uh, as, as this month ends, we are, we are 83,000 from 541. We still expect to finish come October. If we cross the line, it can't be beyond November. We have done a lot to work on that. More people have been employed. Uh, we brought people that were in part of the of, of the environment who were sent home. Twenty-four of those people are back here in Cape Town. Uh, uh, eight of them are in, are, are in uh, Pretoria. But the laboratory uh, of, of Eastern Cape will be ready uh, on uh, ne next year. Will be finished. In September, which most of the backlog of Western Cape come from Eastern Cape. Once that laboratory is fixed, everything will be fine. All 16 contracts have been signed, are all in order. All machines are working. We have 16 hour, uh, hour, uh, turnaround time. And then we are putting, uh, eight more, want to make it 24 hours. We have found the money for. Found the money for paying extra uh, overtime to those people. We, we believe that we are on track. We believe that very soon. But after that, we'll keep this capacity so that we never reach this uh, this uh, element of having the backlog again. Thanks very much. Thank you. As you sit down, may I request that uh, uh, there is. Uh, a, a complaint that you are not very audible because you must go closer to the mic. Please let me make that request. Not in here, but to those on the virtual platform uh, and those that are in the offices. Okay. Uh, we proceed now to question 355. May I request all members on the virtual platform, please open that participants list and just mute close to your name. It's a simple thing to do. Honorable, the, the next question is question number 355. It comes from the Honorable Hendricks to the Minister of Home Affairs, the Honourable the Minister. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. 
honorable member, the Department of Home Affairs, does not currently have a legislative provision that regulates how Muslim marriages, marriage officers should perform a nikah. The white paper on marriages in South Africa that was approved by cabinet in March this year identified this part of this as part of a problem statement. To address this matter, the white paper has made policy provisions for more inclusive marriage laws that do not discriminate against people with the different religious or cultural uh, beliefs. Perhaps, honorable member, I might remind this house that we started as far back as 2019 to come up with a new marriage policy. We started with the green But unfortunately, important things like this were lost because everybody in the country, unfortunately, including this house, were talking of only one issue on that uh, proposal. They were talking about polyandry and everything else fall off. But eventually, <laughs> we were able to continue to the level of the white paper. The cabinet adopted it. And as I'm talking now, we are busy with drafting the legislation. And the general agreement is that that legislation must be omnibus. We must put a marriage legislation for South Africans, not for Muslims, not for Africans, not for whites, etc. That's what we are busy with. And we believe by the end of this financial year, we'll submit that draft to cabinet, then it will come to parliament. Now, recently, on the 28th of June, the constitutional court confirmed a ruling of the Supreme Court of Appeal, whereby certain sections of the, the prevalent marriage act, act number 25 of 1961, and the divorce act number 70 of 1971, I mean 1979, certain provisions of this act were declared unconstitutional because they are not consistent with section 9 of the constitution, section 10 of the constitution, section 28 of the constitution, and 30, 34 of the constitution. In the meantime, we can't wait for that new act. What we are doing in the meantime, we've taken a decision and in January 2022, we have given a directive uh, that enables people to enter into Muslim marriages uh, and, and register them in terms of the recognition of Customary Marriage Act number 120 of, of 1998. Before that constitutional court judgment, if Muslims want their marriages to be recognized, they had to re-register it under the Civil Registry Marriage Act of 1961. And that's why, that's why it was declared unconstitutional. At the moment, all they have to do is this. They must bring B2 representative during the registration of the customary marriage, one from either family. There must be a Muslim marriage certificate present, submitted. Both spouses must consent to be married to each other under the Muslim marriage, and both spouses must submit their IDs for verification with the National Population Register. Where one spouse has passed, the surviving one must submit the sort of David. And lastly, we have been training imams and registered them as marriage officers. The imams have been officiating Muslim marriages 
and they will continue to do so. The Department of Home Affairs offers training for any person who wants to be a marriage officer. And after the act will have been passed, will train all marriage officers, not Muslims, not Christian, not black, not white, but marriage officers. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. Honorable Hendricks. Thank you, uh, Honorable House Chair. It is a legacy that the minister is leaving behind that on the last day of Women's Month, He's starting to restore the dignity of Muslim wives. Today, like I said, is the last day. It is also my 47th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, Tata. Photos of my <laughs> wedding celebration. Proof of the Labola I paid as a bride price for Mascavi. Okay, okay. And You'll sing for him after the session. According to the customers are here. After the court court judgment and other high court judgment, if I go to home affairs and take all that with me, will I get a valid South African marriage certificate stating out of community of property as directed by the court? Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thank you. Honorable Minister? Yeah. Let me start congratulating you too. Yes, that's quite an achievement. Honorable Chair, as, as I've already said, after the constitutional court ruling, this is not a problem anymore because we have put stopgap measures. And I'm sure my counterpart department, the Department of Justice, is also doing the same under the, the, the Divorce Act because it has also been declared unconstitutional. So, but at the moment, I don't think people who are marrying via married, I mean, Muslim rights are having any problem. Uh, whether there is a divorce or not, it will be handled in the same way as other divorces are handled. And, and the constitutional court emphasized that they are doing this in the interest of women and children. And that's why they are quoting section 28 of the Constitution, which talks about the right of the child. Thank you very much. Thank you. Honorable Pile. Thank you very much, House Chair. Honorable Minister, what legislative developments are in place to address these anomalies? And will it make for provision for the protection of rights of women? And lastly, what are the time frames? Thank you. Thank you. Honorable Minister? <laughs> no, no. I, I thought the Honorable Member has, has already answered most of the questions. Maybe the Honorable Member did not hear me. I'm saying at the moment, we've issued the directive in January. All our offices will know what to do. If somebody presents a document or a certificate proving that they were married by Muslim rights. They will then be recognized in terms of Act Number 20 of 1998, the Customary Marriage Act. That's what will be happening in the meantime. And I said our time frames here is that we are busy drafting. The white paper has already been uh, uh, accepted by cabinet. Somebody asked me here whether Polly Andrews is a law. No. 
it was a debate in the green paper. It's no longer there in the white paper. So the, the, the act is being developed in terms of the white paper. And I said, we believe by the end of this financial year, that bill will be presented to cabinet. Once the cabinet passes it, it will come to members here and they'll go on on the process of legislating a new marriages act, which is an omnibus act. That will cover everybody. Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable Fander Merva. Thank you, Honorable House Chairperson. I will take on behalf of Honorable Fander Merva. Proceed, Honorable Majosi. Honorable Minister, this question deals with uh, Muslim marriages, but the fact is that your department has long been grappling with matters pertaining to fraudulent marriages. People find that they are married to strangers in their home affairs system, while syndicates and individuals recruit young girls to marry foreign nationals in order for them to access work permits. Added to that, your department has also contended uh, with the um, prevalence of fake IDs uh, fake passports and fake residency permits with an internal report of your department suggesting that up to 40% of residents work, study and retirement visas have been fraudulently obtained. All these points uh, to a home affairs department in deep crisis. Can you outline the steps you are taking to fix the department that is clearly overrun with the fraud and corruption? Thank you, Chair. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Chair, I thought we'll remind you that the questions he has asked, all of them have got nothing to do with this question. Absolutely nothing. Zero. But the Honorable Member must listen very carefully. Because she has mentioned almost everything that is happening in home affairs, including fraudulent passports. She may hold the horses. There's a question here about what is being done she also spoke about fraudulent marriages. We have already outlined the steps that have been taken when people go to marry in order to reduce fraudulent uh, marriages. For instance, in the past, it was possible for a man to go along to home affairs with documents and register a marriage and said, I married customer. We no longer allow that. If anybody must register a marriage, both people must come. No man can go and, and, and register a marriage alone as it was happening in the past. As to all the other things that we have questioned, if they give me an hour, if the chairperson give me an hour, I will outline them. So you can negotiate with the chairperson, honorable member. <laughs> uh, uh, if she allows that hour, I'll de- definitely allow, outline all the other things you have mentioned. Thank you very much. Thank you, honorable minister. We now proceed. To Honorable Sheikh Imam. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable House Chair Minister. The Muslim marriages appear to be a little bit more complicated than that. I hear you saying that both spouses must be present. Uh, I also understand that there is no problem currently in terms of Muslim marriages because there are marriage officers. Can you not hear me, Minister? Should I start again? All right. Minister, the Muslim marriage is a little bit more complicated than that. Can you hear me? Yeah. Now, I heard you saying that both spouses must be present. Okay. Now, I know it is often misinterpreted 
as far as Muslim marriage is. Muslim marriage, in fact, according to the Muslim custom, having two, three or four wives is discouraged. And that is why it talks about if you cannot treat them equally in every aspect is equal to one. And people don't go to, to that level. Now, if somebody is taking a second wife and you say both spouses must be there, if I understand you, what happens to the wife that is now if taking on a new wife is going to be marrying the new one? Must the first wife also be present or not? I don't know. It's going to cause some level of complication. And that is why you find, Minister, many Muslim organizations are not pushing for it. They are divided on what is in the best interest of the community. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Uh, Honorable Member, if you follow the debate from the green paper to the white people, you will realize that the complexity is not only with Muslim marriages. It's no more complex than the issues that were mentioned there that were ha happening in African communities. For yes, for instance, we even mentioned that there are people who are kings by virtue of having been given birth in a particular type of marriage, which is not recognized in South African law. So it gets more complicated than that. I'm not going to claim to be an expert in Muslim marriages, but the person who helped to bring the Home Affairs Department to where it was is the former Deputy Minister of Home Affairs, who was a member of this house, who herself is a practicing Muslim, Honorable Chohan, and we took whatever she was saying because we thought she understood better. From her vantage position of being a practicing Muslim, she's the one who guided us through this thing. But I want to emphasize that the complexity is not only with Muslim marriage, it's many others. That's why when the bill comes here in front of parliament, I'm sure there are, there are going to be lots and lots of debate about what must be adopted and what must not. At the moment, I just know that what we dropped is poly Andrew because it was causing sparks and war uh, throughout the whole land, <laughs> and it's not in the white paper. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, honorable members, before we proceed to the next question, Let's also remind ourselves about the format of the supplementary question, which is on page on uh, rule 142.6. That a supplementary question must arise directly from the original question. Please. It, it will depend. I won't stop the minister from answering if he wants to, but it will depend on him. But let's just know that there is such a rule as the minister was alluding to, uh, Honorable Majosi. And uh, please, let's also observe Rule 64G, which talks to taking of photos in the house. Uh, I know you do that, but don't just be too obvious. Please. Don't be too obvious. Don't raise, raise your camera and do that because the rules doesn't allow. Okay, we proceed now to question number 330 asked by the Honorable Lekwase to the Minister of Defense 
and military veterans. The Honorable, the Minister. Thank you, Chair. If you can try to, yes, please. Thank you. Um, thank you, Chair. The Ministry of Defense directs the defense industry to support the 18 priority initiatives for the pub public-private growth initiative through negotiating contracts, through contracting via the aerospace contractors such as Dinel Aviation, the ICT in partnership with the National Department of Communications, manufacturing, and throughout the rest of the South African industry. AMSCO remains uh, chair, the main contracting agency for the DOD and reports directly to us. The defense industry is recognized by the defense department as a fully fledged economic sector that has the potential to significantly contribute towards the economy of South Africa through job creation, skills development, and the export uh, earnings that it brings in. Interventions have been initiated focusing on ensuring the sustainability of sovereign strategic industries, which are at risk and which may uh, uh, disrupt the interdependency within the South African defense industry. The National Defense Industry Council was established to address the industry's challenges. Its objectives are to ensure the industry's products and services, make sure that those actually are in support of the National Defense Force. The AMSCO as the acquisition and, uh, and clearinghouse on behalf of Sanda is also used as a platform to promote the, the local South African defense industry abroad. And this has yielded very, very good returns for the country. Um, we, we want to say that with the budget cuts, with the nail in decline, this has almost collapsed 750 private companies which were dependent on Dinel. We are doing everything we can to resuscitate the on whether or not the defense attaches are trained yes before they are go they are they leave the country to their destinations they do go through a course they become our agents they understand the defense industry because they have been there they carry with them whatever material they can to promote we have found that it is not just South Africans the defense industries that do that that other, all the other defense uh, attaches do the same thing. So they become uh, salesmen of their countries when it comes to the things and the tools of trades that they have been using. So it is important for us to acknowledge that ours are also on top of the game. They work in tandem with the deployees from the uh, Department of Public Enterprise and the Trade and Industry in the embassies. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. May I request the Honorable Lofase to do a follow-up question. Thank you very much, House Chair, and thank you, Minister, for the response. Minister, because the growth of the defense industry is linked to the skills development within the, within the defense force, 
How will the department ensure that there is a requisite skill linked to the growth of the defense industry? Thank you very much, House Chair. Thank you, the Honorable the Minister. Part of our networking, a part of our ensuring that the defense industry from time to time interacts with other defense industries out there. Part of our trips and engaging with other ministers in other countries is to always ensure that we keep up to, we, look, we, we know what the other hub has. We look at our own cupboard and we see what our needs are. But we also send our children, our youngsters into universities, into technological uh, uh, spaces where they acquire the skills. We also want to use the resuscitation of DNAM and whatever it is that we might call it in the future. We want to ensure that all the youngsters of South Africa, black and white, get into this uh, innovative space. We want to acknowledge that uh, the wars of the past uh, are something that will be in the past. And so, so we need the young brains to come to the board and therefore initiatives to open up as many training spaces um, abroad and internally here will enable us to keep our industries young and innovative. We also want to continue to call for the return of the 5% in R&D in all our budgets to ensure that at all times we are not caught napping, we can fund innovators, we can fund uh, research and development into the future. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The Honorable Marai. Uh, thank you very much, Chief. Minister, uh, any defense industry's reputation rely heavily on the support from their own government and own defense force. Arms Corps and the Defense Force do not procure a single prime mission equipment product from some of our most successful defense industry companies who are responsible, incidentally, for the majority of our defense exports. This is a wrong message to the highly competitive international defense industry and is a questionable government priority. Is the minister prepared to commit herself to new cooperative public-private partnerships with the South African defense industry for some of our defense prime mission equipment products to help our crippling defense force regaining its critical capabilities, as well as to assist with our defense industry sustainability. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Marais. Honorable Minister. Thank you, Chairperson. Yes, Honorable Marais, I am prepared to commit. And that is why the rebuilding of our defense industry is important. Um, during our hosting of the UN Secretary um, in, in, in July, we were quite impressed with what the South African defense industry can put up. We actually challenged the defense industry. We said we wanted to be the sales people. We want to show off South African products by using them. In that statement, it means that we want to see the South African defense industry being our first line of suppliers so that we don't have to go shopping elsewhere, so that the money actually rotates internally here. And that is why it is also important for us to look at technology and training of South Africans so that we can really do what we need to do best. 
I do know that in the 90s, we lost quite a bit. Government had invested in, uh, for instance, C-square, I-square. I'm one of those who were really holding in this parliament because we invested, we did not use the technology. America took the technology, they still using it. So it is always important to invest and harvest from your own edge. Thank you. Thank you. The next follow-up, the Honorable Mafanya. Okay, thank you very much, Chair. I'll take that. Uh, no, thank you very much, uh, Chair. Uh, Minister, the recent reports, they indicate that the SNADM is so broke that it is unable to mount any meaningful defense of the country should the need arise. Now, the critical equipment is not maintained, and some of the aircraft are unable to fly because of the lack of maintenance. And all these witnesses were identified in the 2015 defense review. Now, did the department take any steps to curb the total collapse of the defense force after the publication of the defense review? If it did, what has led to the abysmal state of the SNADF? And what are you doing to prevent the collapse of the SNADF? I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you. It's, it's a very new question, but I'll try and respond. Um, is Sandap unable to, to defend South Africa? Sandap is able to defend South Africa. There are critical um, equipments that we really do need, but there are also those that we have been able. For instance, I do know that my friend over there, Honorable Mare, will fight, but one of the things that Tusano has enabled us to do is to get into the army, thyroid almost all of them are getting repaired. What we do need is to look at new technology in. So yes, inside South Africa, we're able to do certain things. Where we think that uh, we need to acquire is to is in the upgrade. And that is why it is important for us to say invest in R&D, um, resuscitate your own, recruit back the, 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 the expertise that may have flowed. Um, I would want to quote to the Undersecretary of the UN. He said to us, do not undermine the members of the South African National Defense Force because through our lens, throughout the world, the bravest fighters in the world are these sons and daughters of South Africa. And so, yes, we will be able to, to look after you, but we are also using whatever little trip that I can undertake to ensure that we go out there and we meet the prime mission um, equipment people to try and get space because that is one of our problems getting space for repairs. We're being ripped off by the country, the, the, the companies that uh, sometimes are South African, but the prices are too much. So we're looking at all the other ways to ensure that every piece of equipment is serviced, it is useful to the country. Thank you, Chef. Thank you. Uh, Violet. 
from international relations. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, House Chairperson. Uh, the role of South Africa's heads of missions is to find markets for South Africa's exports by marketing our country as a preferred uh, investment and tourism uh, destination. Further to that, uh, Madam House Chair, the South Africa's heads of missions uh, are implementing our economic uh, diplomacy programs informed and guided by the President's uh, State of the Nation Address, our country's uh, economic recovery and reconstruction plan, social, the social uh, compact and the national development plan, and very importantly, our chair is the national interest uh, framework document and efforts, of course, to attract the 1.2 trillion worth of uh, investments in terms of uh, commitment made by the president. In addition to that, Honorable Chairperson, the heads of missions uh, key mandate uh, includes, amongst others, the fortification of relations and networking with organized business and capitals of industries in the countries of accreditation, uh, two, to organize various uh, business engagements targeted in general, and of course, undertaking market uh, intelligence exercises in the interest of uh, the South African uh, government. Three is to attend to the issues about invest investor management matters and working obviously closely with tourism stakeholders in pro promoting South Africa's uh, diverse offering. And three, Chairperson, uh, ongoing engagement with those investment promotion agencies and SOEs for deeper understanding of South Africa's uh, priority uh, product. We want to obviously emphasize, Honorable Chairperson, that the coming into the operation of the African Continental Free Trade uh, Agreement is a important arsenal in the repository of the heads of missions uh, representing South Africa in regards to uh, continental economic um, integration. To score, underscore this, Chairperson, uh, uh, South Africa says South Africa has a diplomatic pre presence in 53 of the 55 AU. Uh, member member states and the minister of uh, Turco, Dr. Apando, launched the coordination mechanism for economic diplomacy to enhance and to promote the sharing and strengthening of South Africa's uh, broader approach to economic uh, 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 diplomacy uh, initiative. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, uh, honorable. Uh... Um, Chair, can I just bring your attention to Rule 138.4, uh, which says that a minister, um, oh, sorry, 138.3, where a minister may authorize his or her deputy to reply to a question, which the Honorable Bortis has just done. However, when the, um, uh, uh, the screen flashed, the Honorable Pandor's name came on the Zoom platform. So is she on the Zoom platform or is she not? Because if she is on the Zoom platform, she needs to answer the questions. Can you just confirm if the Honourable Minister is indeed, is indeed on the platform? Because then she should be answering the questions and not the Deputy Minister. Honourable, uh, we have been informed 
here as this table and myself that the Honorable Deputy Minister Brodus will be responding to the questions until further uh, information we, we remain at that. Thank you. Uh, no, let it not be a debate. Honorable Chairperson, see... if I may. Oh, you want to speak, Honorable uh, Pando? Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. We had informed uh, the office of the presiding officer, I believe it would have been the speaker, that I will connect and will answer. And should my connection fail, as I'm out of the country, the Honourable Botas would then assume the responsibility. We had communicated this, and I'm uh, a little surprised, hence the picture appearing, because I thought you would call on me. Okay. No, now we have further information. That's something. We will be asking the minister to respond. But what we had is what I said prior. Okay. Honorable Nkosi, follow-up question? Honorable Nkosi, is he on the platform? I'm not sure. Or can we have somebody from the Honorable Nkosi's party to to ask the question? He's not on the platform. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Comrade Chair. Oh, okay. Okay. Proceed, uh, Honorable it's a follow-up question uh, from P.S. Nkosi. Yes, proceed. The support of the South African business to benefit from business opportunity abroad require coordination with the government, other departments, and entity. How is the department coordinating the overall support from South Africa's business to explore businesses opportunities abroad? Thank you very much. The Honourable the Minister, did you get the question yeah. from the member from the House? Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, I did. Uh, I believe the Honourable Botas did answer uh, the question. Can I proceed, Chair? Yes, please. Uh, the Honourable Botas did answer with respect to the coordinating mechanism that we've established. Across departments, we also have very close liaison between ourselves as the Department of International Relations and DERCO. Uh, in addition, we uh, work very closely uh, with the uh, trade and industry uh, department and ministry, which are responsible for supporting and assisting business with international uh, cooperation initiatives. You would be aware, and honourable members would be aware, chairperson, that uh, the honourable president encourages uh, the uh, business missions to uh, travel uh, when he undertakes state visits 
and we often host uh, business forums with business leaders in countries uh, that we uh, pay working visits to and that the president undertakes uh, state visits to. In fact, we have found that these business fora have become so popular uh, that we have begun to think that we may need to, independent uh, of uh, state visits, uh, initiate uh, such fora in order to encourage cooperation between South African businesses and businesses uh, in different parts of the continent and certainly uh, worldwide. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you. May we now invite the Honorable Bergman for a follow-up question? Thank you very much. The Minister has to know that economic diplomacy is dead in the water. I mean, if we are grey-listed, this threat and the inefficiency of home affairs to issue visas on time or to do away with visas for countries that we should be throwing out the red carpet to in terms of tourism and investment, if economic diplomacy is our goal, clearly has a problem with setting her own department's diplomatic goals when her objectives transcend other departments. What we need to understand is whether there's political will to sort this out in cabinet meetings by our minister and her counterparts, or like the national interest documents, is economic diplomacy just a fairy tale where we sell en route to the ANC's attempts to drown South Africa in radical economic transformation? Thank you, Honorable Bergman. The Honorable the Minister? Um, I think the Honorable Member is aware that uh, economic diplomacy is, in fact, working extremely well. Uh, he would be aware that the President had set a target of attracting foreign direct investment to South Africa and that the targets we have set in a period less than five years have, in fact, been reached or are very close to being reached in that 95% of the target was reached in three years. This means our economic diplomacy is working in that we've succeeded in persuading investors from outside South Africa that our country is an attractive uh, destination and that uh, they should invest their resources and establish plants and businesses in our country. Furthermore, the Honourable Member is fully aware that we have, with the leadership of Minister Motswaledi, recast our visa regime, and it has become far more attractive, particularly uh, putting in place the e-visa system and allowing for visa-free access or attaining a visa on arrival in South Africa. All of these are additions to our own armour, to advance economic growth and development in South Africa, and they will and are bearing positive outcomes already. I thank you, uh, Honourable Chairperson. Thank you, Minister. Uh, the next uh, follow-up will come from Mayor Sane. Thank you, Chairperson. It was like a no problem. Proceed. Thank you. Uh, Minister, the US is processing a bill in terms of which countries that are seen as close to Russia will be punished in terms of trade and other forms of assistance. While we welcome your utterances when you engaged the US Secretary of the State when he came over here in South Africa, what practical actions 
has the department taken to protect the country's sovereignty in terms of international trade? And as far as attracting investments is concerned, what engagement has the country had with Russia to assist in both our energy and our oil needs? If not, why has this not happened? Why has the minister not done this? And lastly, why has the minister not made means to ensure that she is engaging uh, with Russia? Thank you very much, Chairman. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, firstly, with respect to the bill uh, that was adopted by the House of Representatives, uh, it's a, a member's bill, a, a private member's bill, we would call it in the South African parlance. Uh, this bill uh, was adopted, uh, and I believe in a bipartisan fashion, by both uh, uh, members uh, of Democrats as well as the Republican parties. Uh, it is still to be considered by Senate, Congress in the United States, and we are liaising and planning meetings with all the leadership in that House in order to indicate our uh, displeasure with respect to this bill. We've worked closely uh, with the African Union Commission that has made very clear statements on this legislation. We've also uh, worked uh, very well uh, with African Ministers of Foreign Affairs. SADC issued a statement on this. So we have upped uh, the activity with respect to lobbying and will carry on uh, uh, this work as we proceed to the United Nations General Assembly uh, in September. With respect uh, to Russia, it is not international relations that... Uh, works uh, with those who lead in the energy and uh, petroleum uh, space in Russia. It would be my colleague, uh, Minister Mantashe, and he might speak to that. But I can confirm that we are in contact with all uh, uh, the relevant contacts uh, in uh, Russia. And I recently, just yesterday, had a discussion uh, with Minister Lavrov on various matters related to the relationship between South Africa and the Russian Federation. So we do continue uh, to engage uh, with that country, just as we do with many others. I thank you, Honorable Chairpers. Thank you very much. The last slot belongs to the UDM. I don't have a name. Do we have any 50% there to pose the yes. question? <clears throat> You have the usual suspect, uh, uh, House Chair. Thank you very much. One of the minister, one of the unintended uh, uh, developments of globalization is the participation of non-state sectors or actors rather in economic diplomacy in particular. As you know, in the past, traditionally diplomacy has been the prerogative of ambassadors and other people that are state actors. But now with the rise of non-state actors, in, in economic diplomacy, what role has your department played to ensure that those efforts are coordinated properly with the non-state actors and other sectors of society to ensure that we maximize uh, the, uh, the benefit that South Africa gets from its economic diplomacy policy and strategy? Thank you. Thank you. Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, non-state actors can be uh, uh, amenable uh, to engagement with governments, others might not be. And so one can't make an assumption 
that all of them uh, uh, would be institutions that you would uh, engage with or uh, partner with. But in South Africa, we are fortunate that there are many such uh, institutions, organizations. This includes academics, uh, think tanks, uh, business organizations that uh, we, wait, we work very closely with and who would from time to time either advise us or indeed uh, become the lead in executing uh, aspects of work that are relevant uh, to our economic diplomacy. So we do uh, work closely, and I'm pleased that this even uh, straddles into the creative sectors, which are an important sector for opportunity uh, for business and for employment uh, in South Africa and worldwide. So wherever the opportunity uh, arises, where minds meet, we do take up the opportunity to work closely uh, with such organizations, even working closely with non-governmental organizations that might share particular aspirations that we have about socioeconomic transformation as the government of South Africa. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, for giving us your time from Verify. You were very audible. Um, We proceed now to question 323, asked by the Honorable Hon to the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. The Honorable, the Minister. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, House Chairperson. Honorable Minister, you are told these mics are so short. Try to do something to help us, please. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like the sitting down, but sometimes we have no choice. (laughs) It doesn't fit the decorum of the house to sit down while you respond. But I have no choice, please. I mean, mean you are capable hands, uh, House Chairperson. Proceed, sir. During September 2020, the Department of International Relations and Cooperation forwarded a request received from the Republic of Namibia for mutual legal assistance in the matter of Nordevel, the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development. Honorable members should note that when this MLA was requested, it was not known to the officials that it had any link to the Palafala matter or to the President of the Republic of South Africa, President Ramaphosa. The Chief Directorate International Legal Relations attended to the request as a standard request for mutual legal assistance. The only information supplied in the request mentioned that the Namibian authorities are investigating a, do- a docket, as I've mentioned, not where which relates to three suspects, namely Messias Davis, Afrikaner, and Chicago. During October 2020, the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development forwarded the request to the Special Commercial Crimes Unit of the National Prosecuting Authority for their consideration. The Honorable Member should note that all requests involving financial crimes are forwarded to the SSSU to ensure that the request does not involve foreign bribery. This practice is followed as South Africa is party to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development's Convention Against Bribery of Public Officials 
in international business transactions. After the SCCU informed the department that the request may be processed, it was allocated to an official within the Chief Directorate International Relations and Legal. During March 2021, the official perused the request with a view of establishing whether the requirements of the International Cooperation in Criminal Matters Act of 1996 were met. The official concluded that the request did not meet the requirements. A letter in this regard was compiled by the official setting out the inadequacies and requesting that an amended request be forwarded to the Department of Justice. The letter was forwarded to DERCO for onward transmission to Namibian High Commissioner. To Namibian High Commission. It should be noted that due to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the ransomware attack on the department during the relevant period, certain delays were experienced in processing the request. During August 2021, DERCO forwarded a letter and not verbal to the Namibian High Commission. Receipt of the not verbal was acknowledged by the Namibian High Commission during September 2021. On 14 July 2022, the Director General approved and signed a letter addressed to the Namibian Central Authority, advising them of the above-mentioned events and indicating South Africa's willingness to continue rendering necessary legal assistance to the authorities in Namibia relating to this matter. To date, the Department has not yet received an amended request that meets the requirements and any response from the Namibian authorities. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Hon? Yeah, thanks, House Chair. As you know, I'm nearly as tall as the Minister, so I don't know whether I should stand. <laughs> yeah, thank you, House Chair. Uh, Minister, on the 21st of June this year, you were Great conviction announced that, and I quote, we categorically state that there's no record of this request. You followed this just more than a month later on the 26th of July with a self-contradictory statement which claimed that the reason for your initial denial of the request was that it was not made, and I again quote, specifically in relation to Mr. David Emanuela. Yet the same statement admits that while the file was not opened in the name of Mr. Emanuela, he along with Afrikaner and Shikangu were in fact the three suspects named in the docket and the request. This means, Minister, there's two options. The first is total ineptitude and a lack of professionalism, given that the name used for the search was not the one on the file cover. It was quickly determined that there was no request which will be the same as arguing that because somebody is not accused number one in a criminal trial, but only accused number two or three, they were never really an accused. An absolute ludicrous proposition. Alternatively, Minister, this is a very bad attempt to explain away a decision to frustrate and delay the request as far as possible, given that if a criminal trial in Namibia ensues, you and this government will have very little control over what information regarding the breaking and the dealings of the president will be put on public record there. Now, Minister, which of these two reasons informed your very embarrassing denial in June that this request ever existed? Thank you. Thank you. The Honourable the Minister. Yeah, thank you, um, House Chairperson. Both uh, propositions 
are not probable. Because as I've said, that um, when the department officials received the request at the time, no one knew that this relates to Palafala nor the president of the republic. Neither did anyone in this house knew about that. So they dealt with the request as per the protocol, as per the um, um, act that governs mutual legal assistance. It is only when there was a statement issued by the Namibian uh, police where we stated that there is a, a request that was provided to us uh, on the name of Mr. David Emanuela that we then investigated ourselves when we saw the statement that there is this request regarding this matter of Palavala from the officials to tell us whether they have received this request and what happened to the request. The officials looked at the name of David Emanuela and looked with regards to whether there was such a request. And it was related back to us that there is no request in the name of David Emanuela. But we therefore did not stop there. We went to the Namibian High Commissioner to ask whether they have received such a request, whether they have provided it to us, including the Department of International Trade and the, um, the Department of DERCO. As per the protocol, there was confirmation even from the Namibian High Commissioner that indeed they have not, there's no such. But the Namibian High Commissioner then reverted back to us after he has found a confirmation that there was such, including therefore then confirmed they were able to trace it back and confirm that indeed there was a request. Thank but you. It, Unfortunately, oh, it's a okay. lot. Yeah, I, you, I gave extra seconds. Thank you very much. Uh, we proceed to Honorable Nivo Drachan. Before you proceed, can we have the picture of the Honorable Member? On the screen, thank you. Proceed, Honorable Drakan, with the voice. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Chair, and thank you, Honorable Minister. In the spirit of cooperation in the region and in the world, which other countries does South Africa does South Africa plan to have extradition treaties and uh, mutual assistance agreements with? And how far is this process? Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Yeah, thank you, uh, House Chairperson. We do have um, agreements with a number of countries across the globe. We are also a signatory to the International Convention in relations to international corporations on mutual legal assistance including contradictions uh, and extraditions, which we use from time to time. If, for example, we find that it's a country where we do not have this kind of agreement, we are still able to revert or use those international conventions to deal with the, some of the requests, particularly if those countries are also signatories to, to the UN um, Convention. But with regard to the specific reference on this matter of the Namibian, uh, our Namibian co counterparts, 
We continue to have mutual cooperation. We continue to work very well cordially with the Namibian. And from time to time, we follow the same procedure we followed on this matter. If we want clarification, we do the same. If they want clarification, there is mutual uh, cooperation. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable uh, House Chairperson. Thank you. Mayako, you are next. Yako. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. But uh, Minister Bruno, oh, Minister, uh, the issue of requirements. <laughs> Sorry, Minister. Mr. Minister, the issue of requirements does not arise. So we must not play politics here. So we must fight crime, whether it's committed by the president or committed, committed by a lay person on the ground. Because all evidence is there that in June 2020, the head of the Presidential Protection Unit, General Wally Rhodes, together with the Presidential Advisor, Benjamin Chawuke, Travel to Venduk two weeks after the Namibian authorities had arrested the key suspect in the theft of Mr. Ramaphosa Palapala, illicit for foreign, foreign currency at his farm. It also affects that the Namibians have been requesting this information that you are saying Unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, Honorable Member, as I asked the preambles, your time is up. Uh, Can you please Chef ask Chef. the question? So I'm I want to ask you, now. are you a minister that is defending their principal to the bitter end, despite mounting evidence against him? He's going to deploy you, don't worry. Just arrest him. <laughs> Proceed, uh, honorable members, please don't do what you are doing. I've been giving people extra seconds. I want her, I gave her, I asked her to ask the question and she went straight to the question. Don't know what the noise is about. Proceed, Honorable uh, Minister. You have no role as to become a minister or not. It's only the president. The, the International Cooperation in Criminal Matters Act of 1996 is what is guiding us in this process with the Namibian authorities and the bilateral agreements that we have. There is nothing else. We are also following all the diplomatic protocols that have been put in place between the two countries. And from time to time, we engage with the Namibian authorities, follow the same procedure. When something does not meet the requirements, we do tell them. And even from our side, from time to time, they also engage with us on the same kind of a discussion. So there is nothing untoward. This is normal uh, international processes in terms of um, the diplomatic channels that were expected to, to follow. And as I have said, we continue to comply with the with the requirements of the Act and the, the treaty. If there is any response that comes from them, we will treat it in the same um, procedure that is expected by the law. Thank you very much. Akbar Litmolda, does Isa Khalian take note? Thank you, Akbar Ishwarshatar. Uh, Honorable Minister, according to the Honorable Minister, on what basis and for what reason would the Minister uh, think that the Namibian government, to the knowledge of the Minister, claim that the Department of Justice and Correctional Services refused to provide legal assistance in the case uh, involving the 
um, Emanuela David, the alleged mastermind in the Palapala break-in and, um, and robbery. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you. Honorable Minister. Yeah, thank you. As I have said, we have sent a non-verbal letters to the Namibian authorities on the matter, and not only one. Uh, in August 2021, we sent a non-verbal with regards to the fact that it does not meet the requirements. And again, on the 14th of July, when there was um, this uh, media or public statement, we again issued or sent another non-verbal informing the Namibian authority when we realized that um, they had, um, uh, 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 we had sent them a letter earlier on, state that uh, their the, the request does not meet the requirements in terms of the, of the act. And uh, that is where we are. We are awaiting the Namibian authorities to send us a response that comply with the requirements of the act. And that is what um, we are expected to do in terms of the International Cooperation in Criminal Matters Act of 1996. So we are, we stand ready to engage we stand ready to help with whatever information that the Namibian authorities may seek or want from us, as long as it is in compliance with the Act. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Question number 358 has been asked by the Honourable Shembeni to the Minister of Police. The Honourable the Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. The answer is no. The South African Police Service was not used to investigate the alleged break-in and theft or to pursue the alleged perpetrators. The alleged break-in and theft at the Parapalakim farm is, however, currently under investigation by the Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation, DPCI, known as HOCS. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Shembeni. Chair. Yes, Madam Speaker. I'm sure, Betty. The answer, Chair, is no. The South African Police Service was not used to investigate the alleged break-in and theft or to pursue the alleged perpetrators. The alleged break-in and theft at the Palapala Game Farm is, however, currently under investigation by the Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation, DPCI, known as HOCS. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Minister. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Minister, are you saying that the police commissioner, General Adamasi, 
did not use the state resources like agriculture. Uh, the state resources like the helicopter and other police officers were not used uh, and the grabbers to detect the movement of the suspect uh, in uh, Namibia on the theft of the illicit foreign currency. And that who did not, or who did this without the knowledge of the former police commissioner, if he did, was this authorized? Or did the commissioner commit, commit a crime by using state resources to cover up for the president's crimes? If he did, what action will be taken against him? Thank you. The Honorable Minister. Well, to start with, uh, General Fang Massimula was not a national commissioner at the time. Uh, therefore, if it did, he would have reported to the National Commissioner, and I guess the permission would have been granted. Nonetheless, if the National Commissioner uh, did not know, uh, the report to the Minister never arrived that such operations did take place. If anybody has that information and evidence would not be a problem to give that information to the Minister of Police and therefore, or thereafter, uh, the correct procedures will be followed. But it remains an information and we usually work on evidence. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable GP, Marakwa. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Uh, we do appreciate that uh, investigations are underway on the Palapala break-in and believe that the law enforcement agencies will do their work without fear or favor. Now, Honorable Minister, will you undertake to continuously update the, the Parliament, including the nation, on any developments regarding this matter? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Member. The Honorable the Minister. Chairperson, the answer is yes. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The third supplementary question will be asked by the Honourable Whitfield. Thank you very much, House Chair. Section 12 of the Presidential Handbook is clear in 12.1, where it says that SAPS takes full responsibility for the security of the President, which includes under 12.3 Roman numeral 2, and I quote, static protection at all official and private residences and office accommodation used from time to time during their term of office, end quote. In reply to my recent written parliamentary question regarding whether SAPS was on duty at Palapala at the time of the robbery, the minister said that they were not. In the same reply, the minister stated that they were deployed there following the robbery. And we know from the presidential handbook that they should have been there in the first place. So can the minister explain to this house and the South African public why no static protection was stationed at Palapala at or before the time of the robbery? 
Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister. Chairperson, the President has a PPU that is a unit that works within uh, the protection of the President wherever, wherever he is, wherever he goes. And that unit directly report to the National Commissioner of the South African Police Service. As operations, that is not necessarily now and again reported to the National Minister of the South African Police. What one would know is that wherever the President is, whether home or any other place where he is, he would be protected. So one would assume that there were members of the South African Police Service in that particular area, as one knows, as stated here, that the matter was reported to the head uh, of the PPU and uh, the protection of the president. That would be my answer, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. The last supplementary question by the Honorable Chapter. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Honourable Chair, the criminal complaint on the Palapala matter was allegedly not opened because it might have compromised the security of the president. Does that mean the criminal complaints have an expiry date and that if a criminal complaint is not opened at a particular time, it cannot be opened at any time in the future. Thank you, Honourable Member. The Honourable Minister. Well, I'm not sure if I understand the question, but I'll answer the way I understand it. (laughs) Chairperson, the... As as we speak now, the case has been opened. Some cases are opened early. Some take some time. Uh, you remember, Chair, that as was seated here, uh, cases of TROC, the apartheid cases, has just been opened. So I guess they've taken some time. Uh, so it's not something new that some cases are delayed to open. Uh, this one has been opened but because of its nature, is not investigated at the station where it was opened, uh, which I guess is a Bilabila police station, but it has been taken over by the DPCI. It is at that level that investigated. Indeed, it might have taken some time, but it has opened and it is under investigation. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Question number three, four, four has been asked by the Honorable Nora to the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. Asha, I think your 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 voice is too low. Oh. Hence we can hear you. The question number three four four has been asked by the Honorable Nora the Minister of Justice and Correctional Service. Thanks for that.
the Honourable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable House Chairperson. On the 25th of July 2022, the official extradition request, along with the Arabic translation thereof, for the extradition of uh, Mr. Atul Kumar Gupta and Rajiv Kumar Gupta, well known as the Gupta brothers, were handed over to the Central Authority in the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. At this stage, the extradition proceedings are still ongoing in the UAE and therefore subjudice. The Department of Justice and Constitutional Development is engaging with the authorities in the UAE on an ongoing basis. Thank you very much, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Mora. Thank you very much, House Chair. Uh, my follow-up question would be, does the NPA have uh, a plan and the requisite capacity to have this kind of matters successfully being prosecuted? Uh, inclusive of uh, this kind of matters, includes that one of Bushiri uh, from Malawi. So is there a sufficient capacity within the prosecuting authority to successfully complete and finalize these matters? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. The Honorable Minister. Yeah, thank you, um, Honorable House Chair. Indeed, the, the central authority, which is the Department of Justice, has the capacity and through cooperation with the DERCO to follow up on the matters with our counterparts in the jurisdictions where the, the extradition requests have been made, and including the UAE, where we have got ongoing engagements, even with regards to the matter of uh, Mr. Shipilo Logama, uh, well known as the Prophet Bushiri. We continue to engage with the authorities in Malawi um, to follow up on the matter. And um, uh, honorable members will know that the matter is proceeding very well, even in Malawi. We have now succeeded with one case uh, in the magistrate court there, which will now say that our witnesses no longer have to go to Malawi to deal with the matters. They can deal with the disposition here in South Africa. So that shows the, the level of uh, commitment that the central authority has put onto the matter, and we continue to keep it on tap. Uh, thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Breidenbach. Thank you, House Chair. Uh, Mr. Minister, on, the, on Monday, the 25th of July this year, you and the National Director of Public Prosecution held a joint press briefing to confirm the submission of the formal expedition application to the Central Authority of the UAE. Do you not think that joint public briefings with the head of the NPA are unwise, as it further blurs the lines between the executive and the hopefully independent prosecuting authority, especially in the light of the uh, concerted effort to destroy that independence by the ANC, as was your, and also your... Uh, continued um, assertion that South Africa needs an independent prosecuting authority. The Honourable Minister. Yeah, no, I do not think so. Um, I, 
it also means that I can't be in the same room with the NDPP or any prosecutor or any judge. We can't talk. Independence does not mean that. Independence means that I cannot interfere with the prosecutorial decision of the NPA. And we have always committed ourselves that we will never interfere with that prosecutorial decision. It will never happen. And that is what it means. But to have to have a joint press briefing on this kind of a matter, and the matter related to extraditions has got a double dimension, a criminal side and also a diplomatic side, which is handled by the central authority, which is the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development. So it does not, it's not only a matter handled by the NPA, it has a relay effect after the NPA has dealt with the charges and the indictment, it then handed over to the central authority. It therefore made sense for us to take the nation into account and into confidence on where the matter is. In fact, we're being criticized even before that by the country that why are we not accounting to society and taking society into confidence on where the matter is? In fact, if we do not do that, we will be sitting here being told by Honorable Bradenbach that we're incompetent, we are not doing our job, we are not sending the request. And we have continued to account, we have continued even to Honorable Bradenbach when she sends even a private letter, not through this process of parliament, we respond and account and say we are continuing, we are committed to the process. So we will continue to work with the NPA as long as we are not interfering with the prosecutorial responsibility of the National Prosecuting Authority. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The third supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Yako. Thanks, House Chairperson. I will take it over. Honorable Tito. Minister, have you for a fact confirmed if the Gupta brothers were ever arrested in the UAE? If so, can you confirm if today they are still in detention? And if their detention is in the relation to the crimes that they have allegedly committed here in South Africa? And if this is so, then why is it taking so long for them to be repatriated back to the South Africa so that they must come and answer for their crimes that they have committed here in South Africa? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. The Honorable Thank Minister. you, uh, House Chairperson. Indeed, um, we have received a not verbal, which is a formal confirmation by the UAE government and authorities that the two Gupta brothers are in their um, cells. They have also informed us that they have attempted on several occasions to apply for bail, and their bail was denied. So there is confirmation that they are indeed there. And also our authorities here in this country went to the UAE to deliver the request personally. And they were again, it was confirmed that indeed they are arrested in the UAE because those authorities uh, that went there involved law enforcement and the National Prosecuting uh, Authority. And I can confirm, uh, uh, Honorable House Chairperson, that it is not taking time. It is still within the period of the treaty, within the treaty's agreement uh, 
that we needed to submit within uh, 60 days, which we did, and they have to assess it within uh, this um, uh, period. And we do believe that the ongoing engagements will enable us to find a, a solution at the end in terms of the extradition process. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, House Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The last supplementary question will be asked by the ACDP. Thank you, House Chair. If I may take the question. Um, House Chair and Minister, thank you. And arising from your response, the ACDP appreciates uh, that you and the NPO now are waiting for the process to unfold in the Dubai courts. But clearly, it is in their hands. And so, Honourable Minister, I'm sure you'll agree with the ACDP that that process could also be subject to various appeals that are beyond the control of South African NPA, and therefore that it could take a number of months or even years before their judicial process unfolds, so that in that regard, we have to wait upon that. And then secondly, is the minister able to comment at all about the uh, NPA indicating that they will apply for the extradition of Mr. Saling Issa? Now, I know that's a separate question, but I'll leave it to your discretion if you'd like to respond to that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister. Yeah, thank you uh, very much. Um, um, indeed, Mr. Sart is, uh, Honourable Sart is correct. Extradition by its nature can be a contracted legal, protracted legal process. It is the nature of um, extradition processes. In any jurisdiction in the world, it can be a protracted legal process, but we uh, have got um, a, a confidence in the process because we have sent our authorities to engage from time to time with the authorities in the UAE. They've been following up on the matter and we are keeping tabs of the processes happening in the courts. And we do believe that um, the processes will unfold. We are giving them uh, their due um, time and processes and we are hopeful that um, they will be expeditiously dealt with because um, unlike in other many jurisdictions in the world, in the UAE, the process is almost an administrative process, which is a, which could also help to fast track the process. With regard to the request that um, they said it's, it's, it's coming to the, to the central authority, which is the Department of Justice, with regards to Mr. Salim Issa, Indeed, we will treat it like any other process that will come through, and uh, we will ensure that it complies with the law and follows that due processes of us um, sending it to the relevant central authority in whatever country that they will want us to do. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Honourable Members, I've been informed that question number 305 has been withdrawn at the request of the Honorable Majosi. We now move to question number 348, which has been asked by the Honorable Dikhale to the Minister in the Presidency. The Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Chair. While we acknowledge that the recommendation by the expert panel into the July 2021, similar rest should jointly be implemented by the justice, by the justice, 
crime by the justice, crime prevention security. There are five recommendations that should be implemented by SSA. On the National Early Warning Capability, the National Intelligence Coordinating Committee in its early warning system continue to provide early warning in order to avoid the recurrence of the incidents of flood and other potential upheavals into the future. In various government structures, government is advised to hear the warning and calls from NICOC to attend to national security threats as contained in national intelligence estimates and other intelligent products. Further, the National Joint Operational and Intelligence Structure, which is an operational subcommittee of JCPS cluster, meet on regular basis. SSA is represented at the net joints and provides a warning. On the capacity in SSA, in SSA in particular, key amongst the capacity constraints was the high number of weapons at senior management levels with ongoing acting appointments that failed to provide necessary stability. Not several strides have been made during the financial year to address the capacity issues that have historically plugged pages. SSA has permanently filled one remaining TDG level post, which means all the posts at that level are now permanently filled. We have also filled with one general manager positions and the remaining vacant posts at this level are all at recruitment phase and should be filled by the end of the second quarter. 33 manager positions have also been permanently filled and the 30, 13 remaining are at various stages in the recruitment process. The filling of vacancies at senior management level has assisted in bringing stability in the agents. The appointment of a director general towards the end of the financial year brought the much needed stability as the department has not had permanent DG since 2018. On the matters of organization of intelligence service, the General Intelligence Law Amendment Bill was finalized and consultation on the bill are taking place. One of the objectives of the bill is to establish fit for purpose domestic and foreign branch structures. On the function of the National Security Council, the NSC, which was re-established by proclamation taken in 2020, meet after every two months. The NSC also meets on a regular basis when there are urgent national security matters requiring attention. The NSC is supported by South African National Security Secretariat, a structure comprised of other generals. It meets on a monthly basis. Lastly, National Security Policy and Strategy. The National Security Policy and Strategy document is drafted, and the documents were presented to all government clusters as well. As South African National Security Secretariat, the documents are due to for presentation at the National Security Council on 27th September 2022. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Chair? Honorable. Uh, Chair, yeah, can can the ministers stop speaking as if Basil Shelley don't? We don't hear them. They must speak as if they want to address us. So, Minister Mondi, we are normal. Like, eh, eh, my name is Mondi. Okay. No. Okay, Honorable Talipi. Maravillous, you're done. So, 
Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Take uh, the follow up on behalf of uh, Honorable Dikhali. Minister, there are concerns in the country uh, about the capacity of the intelligence community to provide intelligence to law enforcement agencies to mitigate against acts of criminality. How will the minister ensure that the trust and confidence? of the people in the intelligence is restored through the implementation of the recommendations from the expert uh, panel report. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Can I be protected against Yes, you are protected, Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Member, there's a lot of work that has been done as far as an attempt to implement the high panel review recommendation is concerned. As we've already said that a lot of intervention in as far as even irregularities that have been identified that led to Linkwa Forensic being actually co commissioned, which has already out of 26 cases completed, I think about six which have been forwarded to ID. There's quite a significant number of a number of other people whose names which are with the ID. As I've already said that the top management section has, has been completed in terms of vacancies. The stability seems to be unfolding in the institution. And uh, on, on that basis, we, we think confidence towards community based, of course, on, on what we deliver. We anticipate it being secured. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable G. Collar. Thank you very much. Uh, Minister, on the whole, it was down to the State Security Agency and Crime Intelligence, but of course, Crime Intelligence at uh, that stage was like a headless chicken. Uh, the whole nation knew there was something about to happen. However, the intelligence services say they knew it was going to happen. They claimed they told the police who said they didn't. Either way, the police were totally unprepared. They didn't even answer their phones when called by desperate citizens, and they were nowhere. So what will you do personally as the new broom? Um, what, what measures are you going to put into place to ensure this will never happen again. We can't rely on social media posts, which is how the whole country knew it was going to happen. Um, that's what those multi-billion rand budgets are for, to prevent exactly what happened. Now, but I really lasted a year apiece. So there's a great deal riding on your shoulders. So give us a plan. 
Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Maybe it is always important to restate the fact that uh, at all material times, products that come out of our institutions are referred to relevant institutions. Uh, in a number of instances where I believe that there was no such product, it has been demonstrated that products were referred. Having said all that, my confidence lies in the fact that we all agree in the security cluster, the seamlessness between all of us, once tightened, once operational, we will do better. And uh, I can inform the member that we are from the workshop confined by two chairs of security cluster, where this seamlessness, which is key in ensuring that we are complementary in our work, does work. Implementing the programs that come out of the workshop, we look forward uh, to, to even improve in as far as forwarding is concerned. Thank you very much, Chair. I will take the question, Honorable Jose. Over 300 African people were killed during the July 2021 civil unrest in KZN, Minister. In what were mainly racial motivated incidences. The then minister responsible for intelligence indicated that the SSA had provided a briefing to the SUPS about the civil unrest. While the SUPS denied ever receiving this briefing, have you been able to determine whether SUPS got any briefing from the SSA before the civil unrest? Have you been able to identify all the people who killed black poor people during the period? What are the future prospects for unrest on that nature in case it ends? Should, should all those people be arrested again? Thank you, Minister. I don't want to talk about what you have said in those. I hope you are going to give a satisfactory response, Minister. Thank you, Honorable Member. The Honorable Minister. One wants to repeat the fact that in terms of our records, products gets referred to relevant institution with a specific matter on hand. It's a matter that I have not checked. But all I can tell you, going forward, we are ensuring that the quality of the forwarding system works. Already, I'm sure you have quite view that the report that a number of people who were behind the July unrest, a significant number of those are arrested. Uh, or lastly, maybe the point must be made is that education to broader society with regard to the detrimental effects that come out of those uprisings, if people are actually educated and understand the effects we, we hope that it be better warned that they should be easily, they should not be easily provoked. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The last supplementary question will be asked by the IFP, 
thank you. I represent the entire IFP, uh, Honorable Chairperson. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, yes, it is very unfortunate that as many as 300 people lost their lives during the unrest. Uh, and I do not believe that uh, all the killings or all those that lost their lives were racially motivated. It is alleged that possibly 30, which is 10% of those that lost their lives, could be racially motivated. And this is something that the country should not uh, tolerate. And we hope that the investigation will continue. Honorable Minister, my question to you is that uh, a report of the expert panel uh, recommended that government take a firm decision about whether the state security agency should be split into two. Has there been any progress in this regard, any thinking by government, and if not, what process will be followed to give effect to this recommendation that the state security agency be split into two? Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister. Thank you, I was saying uh, there's a process with regard to that uh, situation. The General Intelligence Law Amendment Bill is in process. Series of consultations have taken place. We are moving towards the JSPS uh, Justice Cluster Briefing, hoping from there we'll proceed to Cabinet. We hope around November that will be tabled in Parliament just to take care of that very recommendation, which is actually the crux uh, of the institutional turnaround, which undermined the institution in a big way. Thank you, Honorable Singh. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Question number 312 has been asked by the Honorable Whitfield to the Minister of Police. The Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. I'm really disappointed that 305 was withdrawn, but it's okay. The answer, Chair, is no. Section 205, subscription 1 of the Constitution 1996 stipulates that the South African Police Service is structured to function in the national, provincial, and local spheres of government, in terms of districts and stations. In terms of Section 272 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa, 1996, the National Commissioner is responsible for exercising control over the managing the steps in accordance with the national policing policy and the direction of the relevant member of the government. Two, no, there is no need identified at the present for the alternative approach to the structuring of the South African Police Service. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question. Honorable Chairperson. Yes, Honorable Singh. Yeah, so sorry, may I, I didn't want to disturb the minister. May I just come in as a point of explanation to what the minister said about the withdrawal of the question by the IFP? The reason for the withdrawal, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Minister, was that the question that was tabled in a written form was not the question that was put by the IFP. So if the minister can please accept that, but we will put a written question to the minister. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Singh, 
the question was withdrawn and we passed. Yes, Chairperson. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I hope you understand that. We now go to question number twelve, which has been asked by the Honourable Whitfield. Have you responded to that, Honourable? Okay. So we're going to the first supplementary question. The Honourable Whitfield. Thank you very much, House Chairperson. The Minister has repeatedly stated that policing powers cannot be decentralised, saying that this would require a constitutional amendment. But he ignores the fact that Section 99 of the Constitution empowers the Minister to devolve policing powers to other spheres of government. The Minister has repeatedly stated that giving more policing powers to capable provincial and local governments cannot help to fight crime and improve safety. But he ignores the fact that his own crime statistics prove that it is working. The minister ignores the evidence that the Western Cape government's LEAP program has led to a decline in murders by 42% in Mitchell's Plain, that Inyanga is no longer the murder capital of South Africa, and that the city of Cape Town's recent deployment of 100 law enforcement officers in the Cape Town CBD has reduced the theft of motor vehicles and robbery by more than 50% in just one week. What the minister cannot ignore is that just yesterday, President Ramaphosa spoke glowingly of the crime-fighting efforts by the city of Cape Town, saying that he is impressed and that they should be applauded. The president went further to say that these successes should be investigated and that we should all learn from this experience. Now, now that the minister knows that the constitution does give him powers to decentralize policing, and given the overwhelming evidence of the success of the LEAP program, together with the president's support for efforts in the city of Cape Town, will the minister finally agree to investigate how we can improve safety by decentralizing policing. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Chairperson, uh, this is a man I did not like, but uh, he came with a theory that when untruth is repeated time and again, people end up believing that was Hubel's. Uh, who said it through Hitler or Hitler through Kubels. There are things that are, are repeated time and again to mislead South Africans here. This constitution is very clear that when it speaks of the police, it's in the constitution that it talks about two, 205, it talks about the National Police Service. 2053, it talks about to protect the structure in the inhabitants of the Republic, not inhabitants of the Republic of of, of Western Cape, in the Republic. This is constitution. It talks about a member of the cabinet must be responsible for policing and must determine national policy. That's a constitution. That is 2061. 2062, it talks about national policing policy made working with provinces of which this has been done. This minister, cabinet member, has met the premier of this province, the mayor of this city. This constitution talks about National legislation must provide a framework for the establishment powers, function, and and the control of municipal police services. There were 
there where Western Cape becomes constitutional delinquents. Because, because all this, all these metros, I'm, 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 I'm reading the constitution, made the department, and much. I'm setting a 206 going. Thank you very much. The, the, the delinquents of this province comes from not doing what the constitution must say, saying must be done. It Thank says, you very much, Honorable Minister. I think you have, you have tried to cover it. Second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Siabi. Thank you, House Chair. Um, Minister, you have already referred to Section 206 of the Constitution, which provides that one, a member of the Cabinet must be responsible for policing and must determine national policing policy after consulting the provincial governments and taking into account the policing needs and priorities of the provinces as determined by the provincial executives. This therefore means that uh, there are no limitations in the constitutions on the coordination and direction of the functioning of the police, including in the provinces. Hence, no need for the police to commission a study on this matter. Minister, in your assessment, what has been the challenges encountered in ensuring a seamless coordination and working relationship on the political leadership of police between national and provincial spheres of government. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Chair. The Honorable Minister. Chairperson, I want to repeat the point that the delinquency of this province when it comes to constitution tests, <clears throat> all, metropoli- all metros are supposed to have metros working under the direction of the National Commissioner. But what has happened in this province, they have created a parallel structure to the constitutional structure called LIP. And that structure does not report to the National Commissioner, is not overseen by the Secretariat, is not overseen by the IPIT. When they shoot people, you don't know what next to do. That was a problem when the member of this LIP shot a member of the South African Police Service here. We didn't know what to do. So they are delinquent in a way that they know what the constitution must tell them what to do, and they are not doing that, and they, they call it a crisis. When you read the same constitution, it says we must create the structure that coordinates between the minister and all other MEC called MINMEC. That structure means that structure means every three months, including the MEC of this pro. If they have problems, they should be raising the matters there. And please, if they can from now on be start to follow the constitution of the land, they should not defy the constitution and demand the minister to follow them in defying the constitution. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The third supplementary question from Ms. the Honorable Chairman. 
Thank you, Honorable Chef. Minister, the most crime-ridden areas in the Western Cape are areas where black people live. Areas such as Nyala, Delft, Mpuleni, Kailicha. And these places experience the most murders and the most rapes. These are the same areas that are the most neglected in terms of sex delivery, where sewage runs freely on the streets because of the DA. That does not give a damn about the black people. On what basis, therefore, would you ever consider giving the DA decentralized powers to further neglect the lives of black people in the townships? I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairman. The Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable Member, under no circumstances, I will ever consider doing that. This is a province, its leader, who is running this province. When six people were shot in Kailisha, did not go there. Instead, he took a flight to Ukraine. He did not see fit did not see fit to go to Kailisha and cry and pay condolences to six people that were killed. But he flew all the way to Ukraine. And you, you really expect that if you are saying, you can say those people can be responsible for the black life, no? No, it cannot be. As we speak now, he, as I said, that Hobels could be good. Telling that Nyanga and all, there is crime in Nyanga death is because to them, Ukraine is closer than Nyanga. Nyanga is much further than understanding Ukraine. And as, 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 uh, as such, the, the crime increase in the city center the crime increase in this uh, after those states came up, 100 new trade enforcement was unleashed in the city. Has never been unleashed in Nyanga, has never been unleashed in Delft, with all the states that have come from there. Uh, with those facts, under no circumstances that we allow the black people in Western Cape to be given to the people that don't care at all about them. Thanks. The last supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Majosi. Thank you, Honorable. Honorable Members. All the Honorable Members. Can I continue, Chair? All the Honorable Members. Honorable Majosi. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable Minister, considering that residents in crime in crime-stricken communities have an in-depth understanding of how crime manifests in their specific areas, what measures are put in place to reinforce the involvement of local communities in crime prevention programs as an alternative strategy for fighting and preventing crime? Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Chairperson, the structures from community to fight crime are in the constitution and legislation that 
the CPFs will work with this. The police will work with these structures. It's only in the Western Cape where these structures are ignored and creating parallel structures. Nothing wrong creating neighborhood watch and other structures. But the problem is when you begin to put your resources on the structures that are not in the constitution at the expense of the structures that are in the constitution, because you ignore and you're a constitutional delinquent. Things that the constitution instructs you to do, you don't do them. But we will continue, we'll labor forward, we'll soldier forward to work with the communities so that police and communities work together and indeed, it has been beyond any doubt to say where communities work together with the police, crime is reduced. Police respond quicker. Police are able to arrest those people. So we will continue to do that. It will be difficult then to work with an organization that even the women folk, as Hopane said, when he left the, left the DA to say, Women are endangered species, especially black women are endangered species in the DA. It's not me saying, it's Hopana said so. Welcome, welcome, Speaker, uh, Chief Whip. We're watching you how long you'll be there. We're watching, we're very closely watching. Well, we have been watching, Lindy, we have been watching uh, Hopane. You must watch crime, you must watch uh, crime. Everybody, uh, we've been watching Mali. We've been watching everybody. Uh, we we are watching you, you and we wish Thank you that. You, Thank you questions. very much. Question number 354 has been asked by the Honorable Minister to the Minister of Police. The Honorable Minister. The information, we because was asking specific issues, so we have requested that the information on the must be extracted from the investigation case docket management system, and then uh, on a point of order, House Chairperson, Honorable Minister. What's point of we, we can't hear, sir, from the platform. We can't hear. Would the minister please raise his voice? Okay, Honorable Minister. Okay, Honorable Minister, can you raise your voice for Honorable uh, Minister to, to hear you? Chairperson, the information that is required is not readily available, as information must be extracted from the investigation case dockets management system ICDMS, and then subjected to the necessary process to verify the information. A request is hereby has been made to the extension of seven working days in order for South African Police Service to provide accurate and verifiable information. The information referred to in question one above is required in order to respond to this question. So, the request is that we requested the extended time so that we give the correct and accurate information. Thank you, Chairperson.
Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Mishra. Thank you, House Chairperson, and thank you, Minister. While I understand what you have said, we know that from the report that every five hours in South Africa, a panic-stricken relative or guardian reports a missing child. From October to December 2021, 2,605 kidnapping cases were opened at police stations. Late last year, the U.S. Department gave said South Africa is a human trafficking hub and kidnappings have more than doubled in our country since 2010. According to the Institute for Security Studies, we have 10 kidnappings per 100,000 people, which is one of the highest rates in the world. Honorable Minister, in spite of the promise you made to prioritize the fight against kidnapping in 2018, the numbers of kidnappings continue to rise. These days, commuters and women in particular are being kidnapped when they bought what they think is a legitimate taxi, when in reality it is a vehicle or quantum that is driven by criminals. What different approach, Minister, has the South African police taken to deal with kidnappings as an indication that this serious crime has been prioritized as promised in 2018? Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister. Indeed. Thanks, uh, Honourable Chair, Honourable Pundis Mosho. Indeed, the crime has been prioritized for the fact that there is a special unit led at the level of the Major General from the crime intelligence in the country tells that SEPs have prioritized the case. While there are these victims and these problems, unfortunately, the successes that are there don't find its space either in the media space as the original crime would have. One of the major crimes that found a big space was a woman that was kidnapped from Gabon for many days and she was found in Bumalanga tied in a chain. Did not make much in terms of put on the put on the platform and to be understood. One of the highly publicized was Mr. Raja here, who was found in Kailisha after 111 days, was found when the, when the family was on the way to pay the ransom of 25 million in Dubai. They did not pay that because the South African police managed. Only two weeks, a six-year-old was kidnapped was found the next day. A person that kidnapped that one was arrested in Gauteng in a car driving there. So there are successes because this unit is doing the work. Indeed, much better we can still do. But it is not true that nothing is is done. And it is not true that there are no successes around this. We are improving. We are putting provincial, uh, extra-provincial teams 
that will be working with the crime intelligence to be able to respond to these matters. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Moss. Thank you very much, House Chair. Thank you very much, Minister. I must say South Africa police do a good work. The Institute for Security Studies, the ISS, in an article published in February 2022 titled Who Gets Kidnapped in South Africa makes observ- observation that given the wide raising motors associated with kidnapping, tackling the crime requires a multi-stakeholder approach. In light of this observation, what is the strategy that the police have developed or will develop to tackle the crime of kidnapping? Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Moss. The Honorable Minister? Yeah, I don't know whether it's only me who did it here. Honorable Moss, can you repeat that for the Minister? Thank you very much, House Chairperson. The Institute for Security Studies, the ISS, in an article published in February 2022 titled, Who Gets Kidnapped in South Africa? makes an observation that given the wide-ranging motives associated in with kidnapping, Tackling the crimes requires a multi-stakeholder approach. In light of this observation, what is the strategy that the police have developed or will develop to tackle the crime of kidnapping? Thank you, Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, it, it will be the similar so that we have created a special unit to deal with lead at the level of the Major General, uh, I'm not going to mention the name, from Crime Intelligence, uh, dealing with, with those matters. Uh, but beyond that, Chairperson, uh, because this crime uh, is a national and international crime, that's why provincial, of, uh, provincial police that the Western Cape want, wants won't help them on that. For the fact that uh, somebody is... is, is is kidnapped in Hanover Park the next morning. You arrest the kidnapper in Houghton. They won't be able to deal with those international cases. That's why they should keep police national and international. As we are linking, as 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 we are linking with other with other bodies like uh, the Interpol, we work closely with the Interpol and with other agencies around the world to, to deal with these cases because it's a cross-border crime and we understand that we need to work with other agencies, both internationally and nationally. And that is working. But as I have qualified it by saying, there is a good work that is done by agencies, but we can still improve on that matter. Thank you very much. I thank I, you, Honorable. I, I thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The third supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Chair Blantz. 
Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, our minister requested additional time because the information according to him was not readily available. Now I'm going to ask him a follow-up question about information that he knows very well. That is a crime statistic. He's dealing with that every quarter. And my question is, how many people got arrested for kidnapping over the same period? And how many got convicted? Um, and is there a downward trend, Mr. Minister? You have that information. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. And the last supplementary question will be asked by the Honourable Majosi. Oh, sorry. We can respond, Honourable Minister. Chairperson, it is exactly that number that was asked by the, the, the person that asked the original question because that information per se must be extracted uh, from the system. Yes, we would know the individuals, but in terms of the specifics uh, that uh, are coming from the, the member that has followed that question falls within that ambit of the extended request. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The last supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Majose. Thank you, Honorable House Chairperson. Honorable Minister, considering the upsurge of the kidnappings of wealthy business owners from 2016 until present, what measures has been put in place to address extortionist kidnappings from then until now? Has correlation been established between organized crime syndicates and the occurrence of extortionist kidnappings? If so, which indicators have been identified and how has this been addressed? If not, please provide an explanation as to how there is no correlation. Thanks. Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. Chair, the, as, as Honourable Majos is saying that the the kidnapping of rich business people is not only those people that are kidnapped and is not only those people that extortion uh, is demanded uh, from. In this province, the cabinet member who happened to be the Minister of Police has met again with the Premier and the gentleman called J.P. Smith where we have created a special team to deal with this thing of extortion at the, at the lower level. What happens? These gangs, they go to the houses. And if there is a, a helper in the particular house, they will ask how much the helper is getting. If he gets 500 rand, they go to the house and demand the 10% of the salary that is paid there. One of the persons that has been running this game is a gentleman, if he is a gentleman, called, uh, uh, who has been just uh, uh, 
who has just been arrested, charged with 31 charges, including including 19 dead bodies uh, here in Cape Town, who has appeared in court twice. Unfortunately, the community has marched and demanded that he should be released by Kaili because he's helping them. That guy has got 19 dead bodies. So we are dealing with that at that level. But what at, at the higher level of the rich uh, persons, that answer has been provided that we have created a special team on that one. We're working it at both level, at the higher and the grassroots level of this extortion and kidnapping. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Minister. And on that note, Honorable Members, the time allocated for questions has expired. Outstanding replies received will be printed on handset. Now we will ask the Secretary to read the first order of the day. Consideration of request for approval by Parliament of Protocol amending the agreement between the Government of the Republic of South Africa and the Government of the State of Kuwait for the avoidance of double taxation and the prevention of fiscal evasion with respect to taxes on income. Thank you very much. We will now invite the Honorable Abraham to introduce the report. Thank you so much, Honorable House Chair. The amendments of the schedule of the Financial Intelligence Center at FICA are aimed at improving South Africa's legislative and regulatory framework of combating money laundering, terrorism financing, and weapons proliferation. Many of the amendments to the schedules are technical as they are aimed at aligning our laws. For instance, Schedule 1 of FICA still refers to law societies, whereas we are now, we now have legal practice councils following the passing of the Legal Practice Act by Parliament a few years ago. In Schedule 2 of FICA, there are still references to the Financial Services Board, FSB, which was replaced by the Financial Sector Conduct Authority and Prudential Authority. Other amendments are meant to expand the operation of FICA to institutions of, or persons that were not previously covered, but pose some risk of money laundering. We will know the severity of these risks once proper risk assessments are conducted in these sectors. The powers to amend the schedules are delegated to the Minister of Finance in terms of sections 73, 75, 76 of FICA. With Parliament approving such amendments, however, instead of merely approving such when SCOF received a briefing on June uh, 15, before we went to recess, the committee decided that we have to ensure that some public participation and involvement takes place. This was simply because new persons and entities will now be covered. The new entities to be covered include crypto asset dealers, accountants, company service providers, and trust service providers, 
which are all at risk of being used to launder money. There has been some media coverage of how Parliament has delayed approving the, men, the amendment of these schedules. This was in the light of South Africa facing a possible grey listing by the Financial Action Task Force, the international standard-setting body against money laundering based in Paris. Such media coverage was unfortunate as delays in approving the amendments were not part of uh, uh, the, the parliamentary proceedings. The amendments were only tabled in Parliament in May 2022, whereas the Minister of Finance started consulting on these in 2017. The main issue raised in the public hearings hosted by the committee was that anti-money laundering regulations are increasing the cost of compliance for businesses and regulated persons. This therefore affects consumers as regulated institutions have got the luxury to pass on such costs to their customers. Now, as the committee, we believe that any regulatory intervention should be mindful of cost implications. In this regard, risk-based approach is necessary when implementing the regulations on businesses which pose a low risk of money laundering and terrorist financing. The first, the FIC should be circumspect and guide these businesses and supervisory bodies accordingly. Slapping non-compliance with exorbitant sanctions results in regulated institutions treating customers unfairly for fear of being sanctioned. Therefore, this needs to be balanced. Lastly, as the committee, we believe that the minister should ensure that the plans are in motion to prevent South Africa being grey-listed by the Financial Actions Task Force, as that will have dire implications for the economy. It will make it difficult for South Africa to transact and trade with other countries. We believe that we will avoid this, as today as a committee we started processing the Financial Laws Amendment Bill, which focuses on anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing. The FICA regulations should enable the country to deal with corruption, illicit financial flows, and tax evasion by big businesses who shift our money offshore and terrorist financing. We therefore should move into the area of prosecutions and asset for future. Just complying with the FATF standards is not enough. We need results. We support the approval of these amendments by the National Assembly. I thank you, House Chair. Thank you very much. I will now recognize political parties wishing to make a declaration. We start with the DA. Thank you, House Chair. I'm a little bit confused. This um, order is about the protocol agreement between South Africa and the state of Kuwait. So I'm not sure what the FIC amendments had to do with this specifically. Nonetheless, um, the order deals with the important foreign tax treaty loophole that was used by Swedish and Dutch authorities via the treaty with Kuwait. South Africa levies a dividend withholding tax on dividends paid to non-residents. So that means any international companies or business that has invested in South Africa and must receive their portion of profits from local investment 
needs to pay tax on those profits. Thereafter, the profit can be moved back overseas to the home of the foreign investor. In short, when we have foreign investors in South Africa who are invested in profit-making companies, those profits cannot be moved back overseas to their homes without it first being taxed in South Africa. That is the object of it. So the rate at which a dividend to a foreign shareholder is taxed locally is mostly subject to a specific agreement that we as South Africa has with the foreign state or the home of that foreign investor. This agreement is referred to as a double taxation agreement, and it basically sets down the tax rules for profits being made by foreign investors in local businesses. So historically, some of these double tax taxation agreements were however concluded with a null rate, meaning there were some foreign investors that could just take their dividends overseas and not pay any tax in South Africa. This was obviously not an ideal situation, um, leading to a loss for our fiscus. SARS have, however, made work of amending all of these null agreements, of which the last one is with the one of state of, of, with the state of Kuwait. In a bizarre case of unintended consequences, this, however, led to Dutch and Swedish investors also qualifying for a null tax rate because of what they call a most favoured nation clause, which basically meant the Dutch and Swedish foreign investors we're always guaranteed to pay the best tax rates South Africa has agreed with any other nation, which until today has been the null rate with Kuwait. So the protocol before us today will end the null rate of taxation with the state of Kuwait and come into effect when both South Africa and Kuwait notify each other of the completion of this protocol process and the protocol will enter into force on the date of the latter of these two notifications. What is, however, a little unclear is a clause of the agreement which creates potential interpretation and misunderstanding that could mean that the protocol becomes retrospectively applicable um, up to the date when South Africa started implementing dividend, dividend withholding tax. The DA would urge National Treasury to be very clear of its intention of this protocol to try and stop the clawback of historical dividends paid out in the past under the previous null rate as this will certainly lead to significant taxation implications for some foreign investors and most certainly lead to legal battles. The importance of applying fair tax practices on foreign investors should always be balanced by the reality that we also want to encourage foreign investment into South Africa in order to stimulate economic growth, create more jobs and fight inequality. Nowhere is this more true than the local small business and startup environment where there are high-performance startups with massive opportunity for job creation and economic growth. The DA supports policy and legislation that will seek to help South African startup companies attract foreign investment and operate more internationally. And we call on National Treasury and the South African Reserve Bank to implement policy changes that make South African startup companies more attractive to international investors. The protocol before us today is, however, sensible and fair, and the DA supports the protocol and the important closing of this last foreign tax treaty loophole. And we urge National Treasury to finish the legislative process and notify the Republic of Kuwait as soon as possible. I thank you. Thank you. The EFF. Thank you. Thank you very much, House Chair.
Uh, House Chair, we support the um, report, but we won't be making a declaration. Thank you. Thank you. NFP? Thank you, House Chairperson. The National Freedom Party notes and supports the report of the Standing Committee on Finance on the agreement between the South African government and the state of Kuwait for the avoidance of double taxation and the prevention of fiscal evasion. Let us not forget, House Chairperson, that tax evasion and money laundering was rife during the days of apartheid. And two countries specifically, that was Israel and Switzerland, were the countries that were used for money laundering between the Republic of South Africa and those countries in taking our wealth out of the country. Uh, The study found that, uh, Honorable Chairperson, that all profit shifting is done by the largest firms in South Africa. The top 10% of the multinational firms with affiliates in lower tax rate jurisdictions are responsible for 98% of profit shifting. And I remember about two or three years ago, I spoke to the then Deputy Minister of Finance, and there was a report from an accountant in South Africa who could tell you specifically how the company was money laundering and shifting the money, the profit from South Africa to offshore companies. But not much was done about that. The biggest multinational shifts 78% of the profits on average to offshore tax havens. The estimated tax loss to South Africa is valued at 7 billion rand per year or nearly 4% of total corporate tax receipts. The smallest 50% of multinational firms in South Africa do not engage in profit shifting at all. Over and above the tax treaty agreements with other international countries, SARS needs to investigate the claims made by the study. We cannot get into agreements for the sake of it. The tax agreement that South Africa concludes with other nations must have direct impact in our collection revenue. The National Freedom Party supports the report. Thank you. Thank you. NFP AIC. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. The AIC supports the report with no declaration. I thank you. Thank you. Uh, Cope? Okay, they are not here. PAC? Not here. Aljama? Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable House Chair. Oh, yeah, Honorable Members. Honorable House Chair, Aljama supports the treaty with Kuwait. And we support the report. We need to further strengthen ties with Kuwait because since 1960, Kuwait has funded uh, education of uh, uh, in South Africa and continues to support the ideals of the liberation movement. Kuwait is one of the few Middle East countries that supports the end of occupation in Palestine and supports the uh, vision and the uh, call by President Nelson Mandela that South Africa will not be free until Palestine is free. So any strengthening of the relations with Kuwait is welcome. We support the report. Thank you, Aljama. The ANC.
Uh, thank you, House Chairperson. The support of the African National Congress for the amendment to the protocol is informed by our policy orientation towards base erosion and illegal profit shifting. It will be important that we use this moment to reflect on how far we have come on this matter. In 2015, the ANC, the Finance Committee, initiated a process on the broader transformation of the financial sector, recognizing that the most dominant economic sector in the economy was, according to financial sector authorities, embedded with corrupt practices and manipulation of the regulatory environment. That process led to the finance, uh, finance committee into examining the broader illegal form of profit shifting, weakening our tax and revenue base, and denying the necessary resources to fully finance the economic policies of the governing party. We also examined what this meant in terms of base erosion for the state and how this impacted on building a development, a development state, eating away resources through malpractices and tax evasion. Over a four-year period between 2015 and 2019, we had been able, through the work of Parliament, not, to not only position Parliament as a key intervention force in a transformation of the financial sector, but we had been able to pass legislation to tie up on loopholes that were being exploited within the financial sector. The pace of transformation of the financial sector has been, has been and continues to be pathetically slow, even processed by net, uh, processes by NetLab have failed to result in the landmark financial sector summit we, have, uh, we were striving for. In the sixth parliament, we have committed in the same direction, this time focusing more on tightening the legislative and regulatory environment and ensuring that uh, collusion, financial malfeasance, and other corrupt practices are dealt with through legislation and specialized financial crime, uh, crime court. Today's protocols of amendment of the existing agreement between the Republic, um, the Republic and the state of Kuwait has to be seen in the broader context. We are encouraged by the greater determination of both the National Treasury Tax Policy Unit and SARS to deal with network of collusion within the financial sector and its leakage outside the country. We are clear as the ANC that there are particular parts of the world that attract individuals and companies who see prospects of circumventing taxation obligation, thus denying the state legitimate revenue. So while this amend- amendment is addressing an existing tax treaty, it is a lot more in the broader struggle against global financial syndicate. We raise our concern that this has been delayed, not because South Africa has not tried to get amendments signed off. In fact, 10 years of requesting has lapsed, and our concern lies with the damage that has already transpired through non-signing. Our existing tax treaty with Kuwait is some 16 years old, and in the age of tax evasion, this is far too long. Financial sector syndicate and individuals don't wait 16 years. They constantly update their evasion tactics. In particular, the change relates to uh, secondary tax of companies and dividend tax at the shareholders' level. These are major areas of collusion, and hence our concern over the delay. We understand the complexity where there are multiple countries are involved, but the need to be a globally negotiated agreement, which limits the amount of time given to countries to enter into agreement because of the danger they are related to delays. This should also cover one country sign and another uh, then delays before signing. In this case, we have been affected by the most favored national clause judgment in the Netherlands Supreme Court. As a result, 
taxpayers were not subjected to a withholding tax on dividend in terms of South African Netherlands tax treaty. The delay in the entry to the South, South Africa Kuwait protocol resulted in the continued revenue loss uh, for the forecast. The ANC supports protocol, the protocol amending the agreement. I thank you. Thank you very much, ANC. Are there any objections, honorable members, to the approval of the protocol amending the agreement between the government of the Republic of South Africa and the government of the state of Kuwait for the avoidance of double taxation and the prevention of fiscal evasion with respect to taxes on income as it appears on the order paper. No objections are agreed to. Thank you very much. The secretary will read uh, the other, uh, second order. Debate on National Women's Day, women's socioeconomic rights, empowerment and resilience. Thank you very much. I will now invite the Honorable Minister of Human Settlement, the Honorable Kubai, to lead the debate. Thank you very much, House Chairperson. Good evening, Honorable Members. Um, As we conclude the Women's Month celebration and continue on the reflection of what it means to be a woman in this country, what it meant to be a woman in this country under apartheid, and what it means to be a woman today in a patriarchal society. And this can only be described or give comes into mind the words that were said by Mama Winnie Mandela years ago when she said, I quote, the years of imprisonment, imprisonment hardened me. Perhaps if you have given, you've been given a moment to hold back and wait for the next blow, your emotions wouldn't be blunted as they have been in my case. When it happens every day of your life, when the pain becomes your way of life, I no longer have the emotions of fear. There is no longer anything I can fear. There's nothing that the government has not done to me. There isn't any pain I haven't known, unquote. The emancipation of women from all forms of oppression is not a job of women alone but is a common societal concern for women and men. It is for this reason that the ANC has, for most of its existence, imposed a responsibility for all of us and its members and society, perhaps, to say male and female have to fight for the creation of a non-racial and non-sexist society. As we celebrate Women's Month, we must admit that our country still remains a male-dominated society. It is therefore important that we reaffirm our commitment to the creation of a truly non-sexist, non-racial, a democratic society. To the extent that the overall economic transformation for the benefit of the historically disadvantaged is still a challenge, women emancipation, which is a necessary part, will also remain a challenge. NC government policies have created an enabling framework for the empowerment of women. Because of these policies, more women occupy high-ranking positions in government than before. Women enjoy the same rights as their male counterparts in education, 
business, employment, property, inheritance, and injustice. However, these developments have created a situation where the barriers that prevent women from attaining highest level of success have become invisible. This kind of barriers are commonly referred to as the class ceiling. Nowhere are these barriers more pronounced than in the economic sphere. In the last 28 years, the policies of the NC government has created enabling conditions for women to become active participants in the economy. Encouragingly, we have seen the emergence of female trailblazers in various sectors of the economy, which include mining, construction services, and many others. Let me take this opportunity to pay tribute to Hosin Wametua Wabonberi, whom I would also congratulate for receiving an honorary doctorate from UNISA for her outstanding leadership and a launch of a book titled The Rock That Never Cracked. As a trailblazer, she cracked and broke the barriers of patriarchy and redefined the traditional leadership within Batsonga Balui community. Another outstanding leader, a trailblazer, I would like to recognize, Daphne Mashilengos, the executive chairwoman of Halahadi Maganis, whose fiery reputation and her African and her a title of African Female Business Leader of the Year Award. Also, I'd like to pay tribute to Lebo Hangzu, who is the founder and CEO of the AV group of companies that specializes in the construction and manufacturing of alternative building materials and products. Mama Gloria Sorobe and Luisa Mugella, who founded WePold, a woman-owned investment company that is invested in various sectors of the economy. Ladies and gentlemen, these trailblazers have shown us that with adequate support, it is possible to disrupt what we call the old boys club. They have shown us that women are just as capable, if not better than their male counterparts in building larger and profitable business enterprises. However, these trailblazers have more often than not reminded, remained exception and not the norm. Indeed, our struggle is to make women leadership in the economic sphere a norm. To achieve this, we have to intensify our efforts to demolish the challenges that still loom large in preventing women from attaining total economic emancipation. This includes lack of access to finance, gender bias and gender discrimination, limited trading opportunities, and balancing of work and family life. We cannot accept that women of South Africa should continue to be paid less than male counterparts, that women could continue to struggle within the environment. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to highlight some of the areas where we've been doing better and what has been done. Under women entrepreneurship and funding, what has been done is that in order to intensify efforts to financially include women, in 2014, the National Empowerment Fund established Women Empowerment Fund, which is aimed at accelerating the provision of funding to business owned by black women. The funding starts from 250,000 to 75 million across a range of sectors for startups, expansions, and equity acquisition purposes. Although this is a step in the right direction, there is a need to create more funding instrument to assist women entrepreneurs, and more women are benefiting out of this. On agribusiness, four of the nine projects funded by the Agri-Industrial Fund are women-owned. 
This one billion grant established through a partnership between the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development and the Industrial Development Corporation has already dispersed close to 400 million to these nine projects. This fund will help propel women to break that last ceiling in the agricultural and industrial sector. On gender-based budgeting, women-owned businesses and black women-led enterprises operating in the bill sector are largely underrepresented and significantly lag behind their male counterparts. This is demonstrated by the significant reduction of presence of productive female-owned businesses competing in the sector. To break this cycle, the Department of Human Settlement has developed a national sector-wide program approach on set-aside for provinces, metropolitan municipalities, accredited municipalities for human settlements grant. The approach details that they should be 40% set aside for women on procurement budget on all grants. On women's skill training, cognizance of the prevailing perception that construction is exclusively male industry. We provide training for women to enable them to take their rightful place in the sector, in the construction sector. The National Housing NHBRC, in short, provides training intervention for women in construction across all provinces. The program has expanded to include a module on finance to capacitate women, contractors on financial management, as this has been identified as a need by the training participants. The NHBRC Council has also developed a social transformation empowerment program, which focuses on the integration and provision of opportunities for women in construction. To this end, NHBRC has partnered with GIPS to drive this program. For this year, a total of 120 women entrepreneurs have been appointed in this program and are benefiting, and they will come out with a formal qualification. On informal and small business sector, specifically on informal sector, the informal sector plays an important role in providing employment for those who cannot find jobs in the formal economy. Women are more employed in this sector than men, as it consists of estimated 47.6% of women compared to 30.6% of men. In recognition of this challenge that the informal sector is facing, our plan is to look into removing micro enterprises out of the small businesses to ease the burden of administrative red tape. This will also be accompanied by a national strategy on macro enterprises and clear regulatory framework around microfinancing so that in so that finance in the informal sector can be more accessible. Ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, our ability as a country to fight poverty reduce inequality and create in, uh, employment is dependent on our ability to grow the economy. However, growth alone is not sufficient. There is a need to focus on the growth labor absorbing sectors of the economy and ensure that more employment opportunities are provided to women and youth. Not only will a growing economy reduce the number of women trapped in the informal sector, it will also create a thriving and sustainable small business sector. Ladies and gentlemen, women empowerment policies also need to find expression in the private sector. It is an indictment to corporate South Africa that they are lacking when it comes to female CEOs, which is a mere seven of the the JSE top 100 companies 
we are seeing leading led by women. The representation of women at executive level in these companies, it's really embarrassing. And we hope that we can join forces and join hands with the private sector to be able to assist us and see the leadership in terms of women by being able to see more chairpersons in the JSC listed companies. Honorable members, as I conclude, this injustice in terms of where we find lack of women in participation, but in strategic key sections, section of society taking decision cannot continue. And therefore, we need to be conscious about the efforts we take to restore the dignity of a woman, especially a black woman who has remained the face of poverty pre-1994 and a face of poverty post-1994. Efforts have to be made consciously and deliberately to turn the situation around. The heroines of our struggle whose sacrifices made possible for the women in our country to access economic opportunities today have long shown us that women do not need a hand out. They need equality and equity. They have taught us that women do not need permission to be their own liberators. We all have internalized that women emancipation and women empowerment in the context of economic transformation is non-negotiable. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second speaker from the DA, the Honorable Mbalama. Um, House Chair, last week's ruling by the Supreme Court of Appeal against the Ingonyama Trust and its board although significant, is but one lone victory for rural women against a plethora of injustices. There is no certainty that the IT has been keeping proper records in order to be able to refund all the residential leases that were paid as as per the court's ruling. Togo Tijiza, in her capacity as the Minister of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, was found to have failed to respect, protect, promote and fulfill the existing property rights and security of tenure of trust-held land as required by the Constitution. This makes her complicit together with the Ingonyama Trust and Board in holding the social economic rights and empowerment of rural women living on the trust land. Honorable Babama. Yes. There's a point of order. It is unparliamentary to just call someone just uh, directly on the name. It's Honorable Tokoditiza, or Minister, not just straight Tokoditiza. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Member. Honorable Honorable Tokoditiza is complicit together with the Ingonyama Trust and Board in withholding the social, economic rights and empowerment of rural women living on the trust land. Nomo Nisokasa, an independent researcher and analyst in gender politics and cultures, writes of one unconstitutional injustice, the oft-ignored practice of Ugutwala, where girls as young as 13 are abducted and forced into marriage, usually with much older men, which she says is still rife in certain areas of our country. When they object to sex and other wifely duties, they are sometimes beaten and raped into submission. The perceived shame prevents parents from initiating efforts to have the girl child returned, and the lobola that is subsequently paid can be a lifeline to deeply impoverished families, making them accept the inhumane and totally illegal transaction. I wonder what uh, Minister Begikele has got to say about this. 
These poor girls, children really, are destined to a life of no further education and hardly any means of sustainable livelihoods. For example, it has recently been reported by News24 that the South African Human Rights Commission is holding an inquiry into childhood malnutrition in the Eastern Cape after submissions stated that climate change, poverty, and the COVID-19 pandemic were some of the leading factors for childhood starvation in that province. See Democratic Alliance. We believe we need to go back to the basics where every home had a food garden for subsistence purposes, whether in the townships or in the rural areas. Both my grandmothers, one in a Pretoria township and the other in rural Eastern Cape, boasted a family garden which also had fruit trees and vegetables, as did every other home in the vicinity. Over and above this, each rural homestead had two to four hectares of land for maize and other tradable foodstuffs. Under the present government, Middle-class people are allowed to build homes on these fields, avoiding paying much-needed rates on municipal land and depleting arable agricultural land. The Democratic Alliance has supplied vegetable seedlings to women in Ward 24 in Mdanzane as a pilot project which will be rolled out to other wards in the future. Nolutando Joel does not have much land for a garden on her plot, but this did not deter her from accepting the seedlings and planting them in old tires and wooden boxes. The women have also expressed a desire to be supplied with day-old broiler and layer chickens to provide much-needed protein for their families. Tina si Democratic Alliance si pindela gunda lashi si kweba indlala Africa ingosi. Thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, from the EFF, the Honorable Mentor. Masibulele Klaringa Pambili. For the first time, Susan Manela, Minister of Human Settlement, Uba. The face of poverty is indeed a black woman in this country, even during the democratic dispensation. Chairperson, there is a general air of despondency in the country in as far as the fight for the rights of women is concerned. Many people rightfully feel that the state has all but abandoned its duty to protect and advance the rights of women, particularly the black women across all sectors of life in this country. The annual celebration of National Women's Day has become an occasion which we bemoan opportunities that we lost instead of advances made in the struggle for the complete emancipation of women. This is a serious indictment of the legacy of the post-1994 kleptocratic regime. Today, women earn up to 35% less than the men for doing the equal work and the value. Yet, nearly 38% of households are dependent solely on the income of women. Chairperson, perhaps the greatest failure 
of the ruling party handling of the affairs of the country must be in the relation to safety and security of women. And we can all agree, women and children are not safe in this country. If you want to confirm that, we had the Minister of Justice, we had the Minister of Police, they both left before this important debate because it means absolutely nothing to secure the safety of women in this country. We now know that these reported cases represent just a tiny fraction. The cases of more than 11,000, according to the statistics that were presented by the Minister Bekitele, that 11,000, more than 11,000 women quarterly, they get raped. And that is just a fraction. Most cases are not reported. And you know why they are not reported? Is the misleading answer we received today that says every police station has got an FCS unit, which is not true. There are no resources of FCS in each police station. The GBV desk that is there is taken from the limited resources that the police already have in their charge offices. In the recent statistics as well, the, the minister reported just, just over 280 rapists were convicted. And you can guess how much percentage is that to the number of cases of GBVF that are reported in this country. It's not even a fraction of what gets reported. This really means that women are the victims and the state is not willing to help women. We are not shocked, though, because a woman was chased all the way from Namibia back here under the instruction of the president, and nothing happened. That same fate is going to follow a woman who opened a case against the Minister of Finance, Minister Godongwana, from the Kruger National Park, because people are powerful and no one follows uh, can I call? There's a there's a point of order. What's your point of order, Honourable? Yes, time. Chairperson, I'm rising on foot 85. The member on the podium has just made a serious allegation on the and cast aspersions on the character of the president. That's what she, the woman was chased from Namibia straight to South Africa. It's a fact. It's a fact. Unfortunately, it's a fact, and it's public. It's a fact and it's public knowledge. You must also understand the rules. Honorable Hadera, can you, can you repeat that? Please. I couldn't hear you. Chairperson, the speaker on the podium said the president chased a woman from Namibia back to South Africa. That one must come to a substantive motion through Rule 85. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. That order and is unfortunately, sustained. that letter has Henry. been sent to the speaker. Honorable Maybe you Mente. must acquaint yourself with what is happening in Honorable Parliament. Honorable Mente. Honorable Mente, that objection is sustained. Could you please withdraw that? The letter was sent to could, the speaker. Could, could you please withdraw that? Honorable no, there is no withdrawal. The letter of the substantive motion was sent to the speaker. Honorable Mente, could you please withdraw that so that we can go ahead with our What debate? must I withdraw? No, I am not oh, going to do honor, that. Honorable Manta. I am not going to do that. It's a public Honorable knowledge. Manta. It's public knowledge. 
Honorable Manta, I will respect He did not deny it either. Honorable he did Manta. not deny it either. He did not deny it either. In fact, he agreed to this very same statement. Honorable Manta. That yes, he went to collect people from Namibia who stole dollars under Honorable his mattress. I will, Honorable Manta, if you're not going to listen, I'll request you to please leave that podium. I'll, why should I and leave the podium? Honor, Honorable man, as you leave the house. No. For what? For Honorable what? Honorable Manta. Yes, what? Honorable Manta. For what? For public. He I says, am, no, 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 no. Honorable Chairperson. Manta. Chairperson. Chairperson, he says I must submit. Substantive. Chairperson. Chair. Oh. Chair. Honorable Mentor. Chair. Yes, I'm sure. Honorable Mentor, could you please withdraw that? Chair. Could you please withdraw that? I'm not. Wait, Chair. Honorable Kalepi, I'm still dealing with this. I will give I want to help you. I will give you a chance thereafter. Can I help you, Chair? Chair. I need to ask part of the rules as the Chair. You can even say, I name you. And then for the spirit of the debate, you are dealing with human issues here. Honorable, honorable mentor. Chairperson, Chairperson. can you just understand the issues that you are raising? It's a women's debate. Honorable, in the first place, in the first place, I did not recognize you. The house, you must just say, I name you. And then I I don't need that assistance from you. I, I don't need that assistance from you. Person, you need our, our contribution to this debate. But I do not even recognize you. As well to address the Dialogue issues that are facing women. Dialogue so in the house. Dialogue. Honorable Kalipo, out of order. I, I don't need your assistance in the first place. No. Chepesin. Chepesin. You respect Chepesin. Chepesin. You asked for a substantive motion, it's submitted. What else do you want? Honorable man, for a substantive motion, it's submitted. Uh, what chair. else do you want? You also don't know uh, your sergeant own rules. At arms. You don't know your own rules. Yeah. Sergeant, uh, sergeant and arms. Honorable members, why don't they just mute the mountain? The person, I just want to get an understanding about what prompts your, your behavior today. The Honorable Deputy Chief Whip. Chairperson, you are, defend, you, are, you are chasing a woman for Thank defending you, Honorable another woman House Chair by President ah, Honorable, Honorable, Honorable Deputy Chief Whip. I don't get Honorable members, please. Thank you, Honorable. I recognize you, Honorable Deputy Chief Whip. Thank you, Honorable House Chairperson. I want to bring our attention to Rule 92, 11, and 12, that the presiding officer's ruling on a point of order is final and binding and may not be challenged or questioned in the House. There are processes to be followed when it comes to a member who is agreed of the ruling of the presiding officer. Then Rule 12a, clearly states that that a member who is agreed by the presiding officer's ruling on a point of order may subsequently 
in writing to the speaker request that the principle or subject matter of the ruling be referred to the rules committee. So I wanted us to be aware of these rules. Thanks. Thank you very much, honorable members. These are our rules. All of us as a house. No, so we will follow them to the latter. My request to the Honorable Mente is that seeing that she is not prepared to listen and she keeps on commenting, saying that she's not prepared to listen, I have requested the Surgeon of uh, at Arms to please usher her out of the house. Kill me. The Women's Majesty said, attack on women, Chepesi. Kill me. You are, capitul- you are capitulating. So do you want to go down on history on the women's debate, calling bouncers on a woman leader? Your legacy. You want to go down on your legacy? You are going to go down as the one who protected, like you did with Ngandla. You protected the president who abused the woman. You are going to go down in history, in the history books of this country. You protected the man who abused the woman. Yeah, but, but, but we can't can run like that. No, you must not blackmail us. Thanks for your cooperation, Mementa. There is no blackmailing here. President was beating a woman a domestic, a female domestic oh, worker. But was if he was beating a woman, why can't the woman open a case and then the president will tell you? You can't just be coming here and accuse the president whenever it's Honorable members, so. honorable members, please. Can we, can we allow us to deal with this? To yeah, its can, finality? I, can, I, can I finish the speech of the chair? I mean, I don't talk to you, Nin. Chair, no, you're not finishing. Finish why, why are you not taking Honorable the Chelsea Honorable Mentor, please. Then go out. Oh, I'm not talking to you. Chair, can I finish the speech of the chairperson? Mr. 24 votes. Eh? Go home now, man. Honorable members. 24 votes, hope. Honorable Mentor, will you please leave the house? Chairperson, I'm continuing. Women football is coming to South Africa and there's no campaign even by the deputy minister who's a woman. Spoke about the exploitation a- of the sports. Parliament's compensation of the point that thank you. Uh, uh, Honourable Kalebe, please take your seat. You are coming, but please take your seat, Honourable Kalebe. President, must I come there? I have not yet recognized who I will once you have taken your seat. Take your seat first. Honourable Mente, please. We call to move to 24th Honourable Mente, please leave the house. We call to move to 24th Honorable Mante, can you please leave the house? 
Cyril Ramaphosa assaulted his domestic worker, his female domestic worker. Let us not try to be sensational. Please, let's leave the house. Leave the house. Jeremiah ended Sir- up. Honorable Mente, please leave oh, the house. So she's taking her things. So much she leaves her things behind. The house should no, continue to business, house madam. Jefferson, that we are told that members the of the Honorable Mente are very so in future will refer to them as things of Honorable Mente. They are not the members next, of the house. They are things of honorable men. The next speaker. President Hon- Cyril Ramaphosa assaulted his female. Honorable Paola, please let's take our seats. Matumba, you are out of order. Honorable members, please take your seats. Take your seats, please. Could you please take your seat? I, I want to take an order from your I want to take an order. Please switch off all the mics. Can she go and open the case so the case then can be handled by people who are allowed to do so? What is your point of order? What is your point of order, Honorable Mkalipi? Point of order is that, Chair, you are going down to history as a man. Which number is that one? A woman in this Thank you very much. Point taken. So they can't be harassed by 24 votes. Honorable votes must go back to the conference. Uh, Sergeant the conference. I can't be harassed and put it by you. Sergeant Tams. But you are a Really. I can't a votes, a This member out of the house. You are used to that. Just Ramaphosa assaulted female domestic workers. Ramaphosa uh, assaulted female domestic You must go out. Members of the security, please just call them Sergeant Arms. Usher the members out of the house. Close those mics. Liberals. Ramaphosa assaulted a female domestic worker. When you were there, when he was assaulting that person, why don't you go to the police with the police? He tortured a domestic worker. 
Point of order is based on the rule which was raised by member Kadebe, which came to a conclusion that what was said by member Mente requires a substantive motion, and that motion requires to be debated, not submitted. Member Matumba made the same statement on the virtual platform. I request that you make a ruling on that one, basically defying your ruling which you came, which left to member Mente to leave the house. Member Matumbe made that same statement uh, which was made by member Mente. And it was open. It was not like said in, in secret. So that ruling has to be made because you can't have defiance of rulings of the presiding officers continuing in this house. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Unfortunately, I did not hear Honorable Matumba but I will visit Hansat. Once I've done that, I will rule appropriately. Thank you very much. Honorable Mola, Honorable Member. Thank you very much, House Chair. I think uh, it will equally be important that uh, we draw attention to Rule 79.1, that uh, members must only speak when recognized and given authority by uh, the presiding officer. And uh, I think uh, particularly in the virtual platform, we have been abused since yesterday. Members just uh, speak there whenever they want and however they want. So we'd like to plead with the presiding officers to ensure that they exercise their authority in the enforcement of that rule so that we are not abused in the, in the virtual platform. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Point taken. Honorable member, you, were, you had your hand up. Chabala. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Chabala. Yes, yes, Chairperson. I think uh, my point was on uh, the decorum of Benjamin. <laughs> They've been very disruptive in the house and especially on virtual platforms. So I was just rising to it to say, can you look into that and warn, warn the members accordingly? And if they perpetually do that, you need to keep, the, keep them out of the house so that you invoke uh, your powers as a lady. So that's what I wanted you to draw your attention so that you restore order in the house. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. It has been noted, it has been raised before. Uh, we will look into answer to listen to answer to, and take the necessary decision. Honorable member, can we continue? 
Yeah, and uh, but before we do that, uh, one minute. I said, could you please remove Honorable Primrose? Chairperson, can you please uh, recognize me? I want to rise on a point of order. Okay, Honorable Member. No, thanks so much. Uh, No, thanks so much, Chairperson. I think you need to be consistent in your ruling, Chairperson. It is not only members of the EFF who are disrupting this session. They are also members of the ANC that keep speaking here on this platform, but you are not doing anything about it. Instead, you are warning them nicely, and you even say, "If you are like them, I'm going to remove the uh, remove you." Thank, what thank is you, the difference members? Because we are all members of Parliament, we need to be treated as equal. You are treating members of the EFF as if they don't belong to this Parliament or the. Voted Thank for. you, Honorable. So let Masala. us all be treated equal. Thank uh, you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Musala. Honorable Musala and Chair, other members listening. of the visual platform that are listening. I'm also listening. Those to members, you. those members who were taken out of the houses because of their behavior, and uh, it will be consistent. We'll continue doing that until members begin to recognize. The fact that these rules are not the rules of the chairperson. They are the rules of the House. And all parties involved here have adopted that, including the EFF and other parties. So we'll be consistent about that. Thank you, Honorable Members. Shall we continue? Uh, A speaker from the IFP. Uh, Thank you, Chairperson. To Chairperson, on the on the 9th of August, nineteen fifty-six, more than twenty thousand women collectively used their voice to mobilize against the oppression apartheid regime. Risking their lives, these women protested for their and our rights to move freely. And 66 years later, we find ourselves shingling once more, this time by the chairs of gender-based violence. Every woman needs to be heard, appreciated, and protected. Every woman at home, she brings love, grace, and beauty in his in her home. No living without a woman. Sometimes she becomes a mother and father because she loves her family, because she is a woman. It is a pillar. She is a pillar at home, at the neighbors, at the community, and the country at large. She strength and wisdom of this country and at large. Sometimes she has to work an extra mile or extra time 
in order to get promotion, not that she did not deserve. It's just because she is a woman. In 2021, Statistics South Africa reported that one is one in five women had experienced physical violence by a partner. In these first three months of this year alone, at least 10,818 cases of rape were reported, which is increase of 13.7% over the same period in 2021. From April to June of this year, 855 women and 243 children were killed in South Africa. Are South, Afri- are South African women not a citizen? Our constitution clearly states in chapter 2, section 11, that everyone has the right to live, to life. Chapter 2, section 12c reiterates this by stating that everyone have the right to be free from all forms of violence from their public or private entities. Therefore, the question I want to pose today is that as follows. Was social economic rights do South Africa women have when we use as how here, when we use here, women being met at daily from Thank our constitution. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, the Honorable Korea. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Chairperson, maybe let me start out by saying that I am appalled by the way in which we as women have, um, have, have spoken to each other in this condescending manner these past two days. We should not be that and do that, Chairperson. We are women. We are leaders. We set the example in this house. To speak to each other with such disrespect should not happen. Not today. Not ever. But, Chairperson, let me continue. Another Women's Month has come and gone. Another year has passed since Parliament sat here in these benches and promised to address GBV, women's socioeconomic rights and empowerment. Yesterday, the President announced that the second GBV summit is going to be held and it will be a report and feedback session with regards to what has worked and what has not worked in terms of government's interventions to address GBV. Today, the Minister in the Presidency, Minister Gungubele, hosted a dialogue on gender-based violence and femicide in Guguleto. 
GBV is running rampant in Guguletu, and yet the government is having another talk shop. We are having another dialogue. Ach, waar voorzitter, as die president moet vraag, wat het gewerk en wat het nie gewerk nie, en die minister Gungobele wil nog meer praat oor geslagsgeweld, dan weet mens, hier is groot fout. Want dan hoef jy nie te vraag, wat is die lot van vrouwe in Zuid-Afrika nie? Want niks, absoluut niks, word vir die vrouwens van Zuid-Afrika gedoen en het die vrouwens in Zuid-Afrika nie een toekomst in hierdie land nie. Die tyd het aangebreek dat vrouwens in Zuid-Afrika besef dat hulle heil van hulself gaan afhang. Hulle bemachtiging en hulle toekomst leen nie by die regering of een regeringsproject of by iemand anders te nie. Die tyd het aangebreek dat vrouwens vir hulself opstaan en dat vrouwens sal saamstaan en sterk staan teen onderdrukking en teen diskriminatie wat dagelijks ervaar word, want vrouwens verdien beter. 1843-1915-1946 Hierdie vier datums het een ding in gemeen en nie dat het lang lang gelede was nie. Vrouwens was keelvol. Onder andere het hulle enig gebouwe toe opgemaars om hulle misnoe te sende te gee. Hulle was klaar. Hulle was siek en dat mans net wou opgee. Hulle was... Sorry. Honorable... Zolo, please mute. Sisolo. Oh, Honorable Sisolo. Sorry, Honorable Zolo. Honorable Sisolo, please check your gadget. Uh, please continue, Honorable uh, Priet. Thank you, Chairperson. Vrouwens was moog om discriminatie tegen haar ander te sien. Hulle was moog om discriminatie vir hulle self te ervaar. Duisende vrouwe het sonder die internet, sonder vandag wat ons alles tot ons beskikking het, dit recht gekryd om wanneer die regering hulle versuim het, hand in eie boezem te steek en self een oplossing daar te stel. Hoeveel makkelijker sal dit nie vandag vir ons as vrouwens hier wees om dit te doen, om te communikeer, te organiseer met die holbronne tot ons beskikking nie. Maar wat doen ons? Ons beklaai teen mekaar en ons staan bakkant en bid vir beter oplossing elders. Chairperson, we need to take note of entrepreneurs like the Kumalo sisters of Warrington in the Northern Cape, who saved up their money and created a startup poultry business. They are growing their business. We need to tell their story amongst each other. We need to encourage other women to seek their own destinies because that is the only true way that women will be empowered and self-sufficient. We are resilient by our nature, but we just need to start believing and doing it for ourselves. I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Brett. Applaus, Lucas. Thank you, Chair. I want to start today to just extend 
the condolences of the ACDP to a young pilot from the Klein Karoo, Nicole Minnie, and to her family. Nicole, ons vertrouw dat jy met die engele sweer vandag. On this um, debate on Women's Day, I want to um, agree with, with what was said by my colleague. It is time for women to unite around the issues that are facing women in our country. Our focus should be on uplifting women who has not yet attained economic or financial freedom. We must look at women who are left behind either by circumstances or by happenstance. And it is up to us women in leadership to show the example of how to do that. The, the ACDP has consistently called for the implementation of the National Senior Certificate for Adults. House Chair, may I just rise on a point of order and ask you to exclude the people on the platform. The previous speaker was interrupted continually, and now the ACDP speaker has been interrupted continually. Thank you. And uh, on a, on a, we ask Edward to be. We do attend to that. But even members in the house should make sure that they they before they they they, they, they get recognized before making a comment. I would request members on the virtual platform to please be careful of your gadgets. You are, some of you are creating a lot of disturbance. Wayne, Maxim, please. What happened? May, may I rise on a point of order? Honorable Swartz. Could you just ensure that the ACDP speaker, Honorable Sukas, gets the additional time? Or no, no, Honorable Swartz, that is being taken care of by the timekeepers. Honorable Sukers, you have one minute, 55 seconds left. It has not, nothing has been taken away. Whenever there's a disruption, timekeepers take care of that. The ACDP has consistently called for the implementation of the National Senior Certificate for Adults. This qualification is vital in addressing socio-economic rights and the empowerment of women. We have to address the barriers to further and ongoing learning that are unique to women. Education and specifically certified and recognized qualifications are the best way of women economically advancing themselves and escaping the traps of poverty. The biggest hurdle to accessing further education and better employment opportunities for adult women is the lack of a matric or recognized school leaving certificate. It is failure of this government that in 2024, it will be 10 years since the gazetting of the NASCA. And it is highly doubtful that a single woman will have a NASCA certificate in her hands by that sad anniversary. The ACDP has addressed this issue in the House and in the committee before. If this government lacks the money, find it from the unresearched, wasteful programs repeatedly launched by the education departments. If you lack the political will, the ACDP will take this issue to the people of South Africa. The ACDP, therefore, in this debate calls 
for the immediate implementation of the NASCA and according to the original four subjects, 50% pass qualification as gazetted in 2014. No more excuses. The consequences of this failure to do this and thereby provide access to further learning and development to thousands of women of all ages who have the capacity to still become anything they envision for their lives within their unique capabilities will be squarely placed at the feet of government. When you empower a woman, you change the lives of generations. We know this. Women are central to the advancement of our communities. Let us not deny them the chance for one minute longer. And therefore, I am applauding you. Let us make it happen for thousands of South African women. Thank you. The Honorable Kwangwa. Honorable House Chair, he says he's having some difficulty on the platform. He sent a message the chief of uh, uh, WhatsApp group. Okay. We'll continue. Or are you, are you going to stand in for him? Honorable. Uh... No, no, sir. It's not my turn yet. No. Honorable Marawa. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable members of this house. The evolution of the modern South African women, our needs, aspirations, hopes, and dreams have dramatically changed from the struggles of the early women who fought for many issues, but grounded in the emancipation of women in totality. Although the struggle pillars remain the same, much has changed. Where women face the same struggle pillars, just disguised as something different. Honorable members, it makes no sense for many women in the workplace to still be fighting for wage equality when they are in turn subjected to inhuman policies such as the maternity procedures, which see many women working until the last weeks of their pregnancy, nurse their babies for a week, few weeks, then be expected to be back in the workforce or risk losing their jobs. It should be considered criminal that many women still suffer at the hands of many perpetrators who claim women's lives heinously. Because sometimes dependency is the core determinant for these rising numbers, where the state is supposed to be working towards emancipation, this emancipate these women through initiative that advance the needs of women. We need to monitor very closely the Employment Equity Act, the amendment of policies in the workplace, the creation of a victim-centric system that protects women, the introduction of death penalty for repeat heinous crimes, the protection of the South African family structure through many initiatives. As a going concern, we should be focusing on our Bahao. Government broadly zooming in on property construction and finding we propose a women's sensitive legislative system that will address the social ills that are affecting women and children of our country. Additionally, Jefferson, we should ensure that we accelerate access to adequate health facilities, especially in the rural areas, focusing on pregnant women and those infected with, with HIV. Access to sanitary pets for girl children should be made priority. 
women pensioners that are disadvantaged because of lack of access to medical facilities. Counseling and rehabilitation for women in particular, those that have gone through various forms of abuse. We endorse and advocate for women to be in the forefront of the fourth industrial revolution. If we do not do this, uh, the next generation will inherit a state that is Tatas. If the women are not economically free, we cannot regard this as a total freedom. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. The Honorable Hira. Uh, thank you, House Chair. House Chair, much of the focus of Women's Month has quite rightly been on the scale of the problem of gender-based violence perpetrated by men against women in South Africa. Among the key stimulants of this violence is the level of gender inequality in our society. Women are less likely to hold leadership positions than men. They are less likely to be employed than men. And those women who are employed usually earn less than men. These inequalities combined with men's relative physical strength and the pressures placed on men to be strong men reinforce the notion in the patriarchal society that women are intrinsically less valuable than men. While turning gender discrimination and the objectification of women around sustainably will take time, like turning the Titanic, there are things we could do tomorrow to begin to achieve more balance. These include addressing the many challenges women continue to face with regard to equal opportunities and treatment in the labor market. Those women fortunate to have a job are not just paid less than men, but are often excluded from growth opportunities and particular positions. The recent quarterly labor force survey found that a staggering 36,8% of women were unemployed, compared to 32,4% of men, men. As usual, by far the worst all for African women, of whom 41% were without jobs. Men occupied 66.9% of managerial positions in South African businesses. Excluding people with talent and potential from occupying positions on the basis of gender is just as bad as excluding them on the basis of color, religion, or culture. Government is aware of the number of single mothers and breadwinners out there living on the edge. Poverty and food security render women more vulnerable to abuse and exploitation. Victims of gender-based violence are often economically dependent on those who abuse them, trapping them in a spiral of violence. Too afraid to speak out, they shut up and endure. House Chair South Africa has made some progress in promoting gender equality, but far from enough. We must do more to integrate women into local and national politics and into senior positions in the civil service. As the good party, we call for equal pay for equal work. When we empower women chairperson, we empower families and communities. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. The Honourable Sharif. Thank you very much, House Chair. First, I would like to give our condolences to the Western Cape Provincial Government for the passing of Lorraine Bertha, the Chief Whip. May her soul rest in peace. House Chair, the topics of these debates are becoming lazy. This is basically the Youth Day debate topic, copy, paste, and a slight edit. We can't keep talking about resilience. 
I've already told you, young people and women should not have to be resilient. We are forced to be. We cannot see any socioeconomic rights or empowerment having true meaning when we are just trying to stay alive. Day 31 of Women's Month, it's always bittersweet. We must accept the fact that it has become problematic. It is commercialized and cloud chasing. It romanticizes a painful existence riddled with violence in every aspect. It feels like being put on a pedestal made of water, collapsing at the brim, then back to the struggle for the remaining 334 days. The struggle is indeed continuous. Living in South Africa is wild. We have an entire police minister using rape and lucky in the same sentence and trying to justify it without recognizing his comments were offensive to so many. I guarantee the ANC will come here and justify it to death, just like President Ramaphosa did yesterday, talking about translation. We must speak about content. Self-reflection is hard, but it is necessary to have the ability to recognize and admit when you are wrong and apologize. This is important for any person, but more especially for leaders in our society. The lack of self-awareness and lack of accountability is a clear example of Minister Taylor's arrogance. It is infuriating because it shows that the minister does not care and believes that what he said is perfectly okay. Wild. South Africa remains the rape capital of the world, one of the most violent societies for women. We are sold porcelain dreams that shatter every day when another woman is claimed as a victim of violence. President Ramaphosa comes to parliament yesterday and gives us stats as if we don't love these stats every day. He must be decisive and fire those ministers who do not care who have no political or moral will and disregards all of the solutions we have hand-fed them across the years. Tutuzela care centers are a great resource, but they are struggling and it limits the amount of work they can do. When ATCC does not have the ability to provide a range of its services, then it's not working optimally and, it's, is di- and it is directly affecting women on the ground. President Ramaphosa must speak on the true state of TCCs across the country instead of selling an unrealistic expectation. As women, we are tired. Living in this country is exhausting enough. The least you can do is be straight up and honest. We have to keep putting up the fight for women's rights, equality and justice. The road remains long difficult and testing, but we must put on our armor and defend our sovereignty as women, for we are not only fighting for ourselves, but we are fighting for entire generations to come. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. The Honorable Mutau. Thank you, House Chair. As we conclude this Women's Month, we have to remind the nation that women are a powerful motive force for a change. 
the gains, efforts, and struggle of women towards gender equality is a prominent one in the history of our nation and the world. We must always remember the contribution and sacrifices made by the women of 1956. The women's movement in South Africa was in many ways instrumental to success of struggle against apartheid. The women's movement played a role in shaping the nation, the national liberation discourse and committed itself to the struggle of our liberation movement. As evident in their participation and contribution to the defiance campaign activities of the 50s, even before being properly organized under the banner of the Federation of South African Women, women have always been involved in defining their positions, involvement, and leadership in society. During the apartheid years, women were oppressed and denied their rights, their voice, and, and agency. Women did not enjoy the same social, economic, and political status as their male counterparts. Their views and contributions were, were not equated to those of men and and they were not expected to concern themselves with the socio-economic and political conditions in society other than in their, in their homes. However, breaking all boundaries and stereotypes, women stood tall against the oppressive, oppressive system of apartheid that restricted their freedom and force them to carry passes, further, further infringing their human dignity. Women of 1956 took it upon themselves to bring about change by organizing themselves and defying all patriarchal standards that restricted their movements and freedom, laying the foundation for future generations of women not to suffer the same oppression. Struggle stalwarts such as Me Albertina Susulu, Charlotte Makreke, Dorothy Nyembe, Fatima Mie, and living legend Auntie Sophie Dipier shaped and laid the foundation for women to take upon space, represent, and lead in society. The efforts of these women and many more have encouraged future generations of younger women. Like many of us participating in this debate, to be encouraged and claim their space in society as leaders. The women who came before us left us with a legacy such as Women's Charter for Effective Equality, which was adopted on the 17th April 1954 during the founding conference of Federation of South African Women. The Federation of South African Women is an example of women's ability to organize and mobilize millions of women in the struggle of fight for their rights. Women led massive campaigns under the banner of the African National Congress Women's League 
and Federation of South African Women, such as Antipas Action of 1956, which remains of historical significance in our country. The Charter called for the empowerment of men and women of all races, for equal opportunities in employment, equal pay for equal work, equal rights in relation to property rights, marriage and children, and the removal of all laws and customs that denied women such equality. The task to change the system of patriarchy that sees women and inferior to men in our, in our economy, our society, our culture and traditions, and our families lies with us. We must ensure that the Women's Charter for Effective Equality, which calls for equal participation, recognition, and development of women in all aspects of life, society, across, is enforced. enforced. Gender equality should not be seen as a secondary issue to the economy. Leaders and governance, women emancipation and increasing the presence of women in the center of power and decision-making must be taken seriously and they should be prioritized to the country. Notwithstanding the persistent challenges, notable progress have been achieved since the adoption of the Women's Charter for Effective Equality. Today, there are more women in government leadership position than before, thanks to the policy of the ANC. Here in this August House, we have a cabinet comprises of 50% female ministers and 50% and male ministers. This house has close to 50% of female members of parliament. And it is to be noted that since 1994, parliament have been appointing mainly women as national speakers. In government, more than 60% of public servants are women. And women have increased in senior management position to over 41% higher than in previous years. Although more still needs to be done in this regard, particularly in the private sector, where the challenges of women representation still persist. Progressive strides have to be made in, in the inclusion of women in various sectors of the economy. For example, access to land for current and prospective women farmers remains one of the key priority of the government's land reform program. The government have, has introduced proactive measures to ensure that beneficiaries, beneficiary selection criteria focus on enhancing women's ownership of land. When women own the land, they make it productive. Families tend to be better fed, better educated, and healthier. Government has already commenced with the allocation of state-owned land to beneficiaries in need of agricultural land. The Department of Agriculture and Rural, Depart 
the Department of Agriculture and Rural Development through the Conditional Comprehensive Agricultural Support Program has prioritized women targeted projects and funded them for the financial year 2020 and 2023. The Radical Agricultural Socioeconomic Transformation Program is also helping women to lend for farming and get their, product, their pro products to market. South Africa has committed itself to a number of treaties and strategies to prioritize women, including Beijing Declaration and its platform for Action 1995, which advocates directly for gender progressive budgeting through an actionable political commitment to empower women. More still needs to be done in reference to this in departments following the gender progressive budgeting framework adopted in 2018. There is, there is, need, there is a need to be a more sustainable, comprehensive, and take a multi-sectoral approach to gender mainstreaming within all spheres of government within all spheres of government, as well as monitoring and evaluation. In November, the second presidential summit on gender violence and femicide will, will do a detailed assessment on the national strategic plan implementi implementation and charter the way forward. We must fasten active, effective implementation of the national strategic plan across the government departments. If we are to see effective change in the public service Honourable on the inclusion Member. of women in senior management position. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Chairman. The Honourable Sheikh Imam. Thank you, House Chairperson. Allow me to start off by paying tribute to the woman, particularly the mothers. You can have everything in the world, but no mother, you have nothing. You can have nothing in the world, but have your mother, you have everything. Blessed, blessed are those who still have their mothers. Love them, respect them, take good care of them. Honorable Chairperson, I want to also pay tribute to the likes of Amina Kachalia, Aida Mtwana, and Silinga, Ruth First, Rahima Musa, Helen Susman, Winnie Madikazela Mandela, Pumzile Mlambo Muka, Albertina Sisulu, Fatima Mir, Lillian Ngoy, Navanitan Pillay, and Cheryl Carolas. These are some of the women that played a significant role in the struggle for the liberation of our country and particularly our women. So the question we need to ask ourselves, with the role that these women played starting in 1956 particularly, how far have we come? Now, I've heard many people talk about some of the progress, but my statistics gives me some different information, uh, Chairperson. First of all, let me say this, that 56% of public servants in the country are women. But at sal salary level 12, there are only 9% of women. At senior management level, there's only 38% of women. At management level countrywide, there's only between 20 to 29% of women in South Africa holding these positions. 
Cabinet took a resolution in 2006 to deal with this matter. At salary level 16, which is the highest level, women only hold 19% in this country. Let's look at the public service, which has approximately 161 national and provincial departments. At national level, the DGs are 23, while the females, males are 23 and the females are 12. Now look at the statistics in KwaZulu-Natal at provincial level, only one female DG. And in the HODs, 54 are male and 23 are female. But worse than that is the special advisors to ministers. 53 are males and only 23 are females. So the opportunity is there and it has been created. Women, you have the power. You have the voice. Why are you sitting back and allowing men to continue to lead? Why are you not putting pen to paper? Talk is cheap. Let's get out there and put that into action and ensure that women hold this position that you stand here and raising concern about the patriarchal society that we live in. But yet you have the opportunity. You are in government. You are in control and you're doing very little or nothing about it. If you want to improve the status of women in this country, then yes, indeed, you have the power. Do what is right. You and only you can change the lives of women. No man is going to change the life. I just want to say lastly, if you look at the presence of the number of people in such an important debate in the South, it tells you how seriously we take women in the country. Thank you very much. The Honorable Chafta. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair, the social economic status of women in our country must be understood against the following barometers. Women's access to rural land and tenure security. Women's economic participation in the mainstream economy. Women's payment structure in both the private and public sector. And lastly, women's accession to key influential positions such as the judiciary. Honorable Chair, we sketch out this background, this background to underscore the glaring objective realities that women have to contend with. The recent Stats SA quarterly labor survey, for instance, reveals that women economic inactivity stood at 47% in the period April to June 2022. This is in sharp contrast to men who stood at low base of 35.6% in the same period under review. We also know that women also struggle to, to access quality medical health care and to get equal pay to work of equal value. Despite these challenges, we know that women have made great strides to leverage their own circumstances. The likes of Professor Tulima Donzela, Pumzilem Labonuga, and the Speaker of this very National Assembly have fared well in innovative leadership, excellency, and stewardship. Honorable Chair, it would, it would uh, therefore be remiss of us not to congratulate the, follow, the following phenomenal women the reigning Miss South Africa 
Ndavino Perry, the Banyana Banyana team for winning this year's Africa Cup of Nations Women Tournament. The Deputy Chief Justice Mandy Samaya for her outstanding judicial record and appointment. And Justice Sisikampembe and Kate Ogan, who both of whom served in the Constitutional Court and appear in our recommendations panelist list on the Section 89 impeachment process. We have no doubt, Honorable Chair, that the, re- the resilience of women will continue to stand them in good stead. I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Anyone from COPE? They're still fighting. I... Thank you. Thank, thank you, Honorable Members. Uh, thanks for the message. Uh, the Honorable Hendricks from Al Jamaa. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. Order, Honorable Members. Al Jamaa wants to pay tribute to the late Honorable Hisham Hamid, who helped fast track three acts of parliament to deal with reducing gender based violence. Harming the dignity of women, no matter what religion, is as bad as gender-based violence. So Al Jamas employed me to submit three private members' goals to help restore the dignity of Muslim wives and wives of other faiths and cultures who are in a nikah, which is a cultural and holy marriage and union. The three bills are the bill number 17, Amendments to the Maintenance Act, uh, second bill is the Interim Registration of Muslim Marriages Act of 221. And three is the amendments to the Divorce Act so Muslim wives can get their pound of flesh from the third state they contributed to. Muslim culture along with African culture give a woman her rights. The party says that spouses who have entered a marriage or a second marriage uh, to get a valid South African marriage certificate in terms of a cultural act that is non-compliant with the culture as well as her beliefs. So Aldama is a private member's bill uh, to allow for the registration of a Nika Muslim marriage in terms of a Muslim marriage act until the Omnibus Marriage Act is signed by President Ramaphosa before 2004. On Saturday, I was in Atterisville with 200 African uh, Muslim wives and they want us to bring their concern to Parliament that they want a valid South African marriage certificate, although they are in a Muslim marriage. We want to call on the men of all political parties to do more for women. We haven't heard much contribution from women, from men to advance the rights of women. So I'm ashamed that men are not doing their bit uh, to advance the rights of women of South Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Hendricks. The Honorable Peter. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Um, I'm very proud today to stand here as a member of the DA caucus, 
having our chief whip and our deputy chief whip, both women, showing that indeed the DA leads when it comes to empowering women in this fund. Honorable House Chairperson, when masculinity uh, is in crisis... Order, order, honorable members. On, honorable members, uh, please. Uh, honorable Peter. Yes. You are protected. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. I hope my time is, is also protected as well. When masculinity is in crisis, it turns on women. In the moment, there is no time to be resilient. There is no time to listen to debates that lead to no change. There is no time to have hope when we have a minister who believes you are lucky to be raped once. To those young women, I am sorry that your pain was minimized in that way. It happened because we have ministers who don't have to worry about their safety. We have ministers who are protected by bodyguards. Theirs is a life of armed police, high rays, fences, and blue lights. They do not understand what it means to look over their shoulders. They do not understand what it means to worry about your safety on a daily basis. For them, justice is a phone call away. For you, it's years waiting. We know this because of all the promises that have been made in the past, which are yet to materialize. From the president down to his ministers, there has been zero accountability, zero delivery to the promises made to South Africans and women in particular. Gender-based violence is an establishment that thrives in an environment of no accountability, no justice, no service delivery, entrenched in patronage and a complete lack of will. Two years ago, President Ramaphosa introduced a GBVF council, which he claimed would tackle the scourge of violence. However, till to this day, nothing has happened. We have a Department of Women and Youth and Persons with Disabilities that focuses on webinars instead of providing substantive action like increasing shelters for women who are under attack in their homes. We have a police minister who has presided over the DNA backlog crisis, which has denied justice to hundreds and thousands of victims of rape, murder, and violent crimes. To date, there are over 150,000 DNA samples yet to be processed. Can you imagine being let down by the last line of defense in your country? Many South Africans don't have to imagine because these are their lived experiences. Yesterday, President Ramaphosa made it clear that he chooses Minister Klele over the, the women in this country. A minister of police who tells people to shut up when they raise their concerns about the safety in their communities. A refusal to listen that stems from power and privilege. These social constructs and ego-driven complexes endorse toxicity and government that is out of touch with the realities of ordinary South Africans. The Western Cape government has the biggest and most comprehensive safety plan with the largest, largest budget to keep people safe. The DA believes that local police authorities are better at crime prevention and fighting it. Here in Parliament, the DA, through Honorable Andrew Whitfield, fought to bring back the amendment bill to deal and ensure that criminals can give their DNA so that we don't have repeat offenders at the expense of South African people. Finally, to us as men, it is, in, it is, it is not enough to be deeply worried about these issues because that is not enough. We need more guts to challenge each other to disrupt each other and begin to change the level of tra tragedy in our society. This is one of the ways in which we stop dominant systems from maintaining themselves. 
to stop the trajectory of going unexamined about issues that are actually about us. Women's Day is supposed to be about looking at how far we have come in terms of gender equality, but now it has all become gender-based violence awareness. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Peter. Honorable members, that brings us to the last speaker. So, what's, what's, what's your problem? Honorable members, what's your problem? I'm, I am saying that brings us to the last speaker. How about Wamujin? How? That, honorable members, brings us to the last speaker of the day. Honorable Malakshi. Ovela speaker. Lohono, Rikilemo, Roko, Keteka, Basadi, Bomagorena, Bosesi, Basadiba, Bagatele, Chingicheka Moka. They were oppressed because of their color. They were oppressed because of color. They were oppressed because of Basadi. As society, we are here to confine with many multifaceted and mutually reinforcing polemics. COVID-19 and gender-based violence and femicides, poverty, unemployment, and our collective heritage has been demolished and overall systems of social order. In our views, these societal challenges are epidemic because of the prevalences of negative efforts on the lives of our people that seeks to improve. Honorable Chair, it would be injustice not to correctly allocate the issues that continue to confront our society without recognizing the impact of colonial and apartheid on black working class families, which are dislodged for decades because of the reliance of apartheid, of apartheid system on capital and cheap labor that was primarily isolating black husbands from their wives and fathers and their children. The economic status quo further deepens the complicity of relationships between economic freedom and gender inequality. It is therefore important as we intensify the fight against gender-based violence, femicides, we also intensify the fight for economic freedom and focus on women who bear the branch of poverty and equality in South Africa. We can root out patriarchy in society by addressing the social statuses which continues to oppress women. In South African listed companies on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, the GSE, about 8% of the top positions are held by women. The recent findings have reported that unequal pay for equal work will not be achieved for women until 100 years to come. It cannot be the right that it cannot be right that only 53 women were appointed to executive positions across the JSE between January 2020 and 2022. Our society needs to undergo a structural change to resolve the issues of gender inequality. Fendrix England helps us to understand the political economy in such a way that we recognize that women's exclusion from the economy is largely based on how they related to the means of production. We also learn from England that the historical enslavement of women 
is tied to private property, which is how patriarchy is maintained today. Therefore, we must address the systems of exclusion that reinforces the good power relations between women and men in society. The wealth and the land in our society must be shared equally between men and women, mainly black. In the process of radical economic, social economic transformation, women and men must contribute and benefit equally. Women should own assets, receive equal pay for work done. The gender gender gap in reflection of the super exploitation of women is a reflection of the super exploitation of women. Our country's current status affects clearly illustrate that our society's social information and ensure that the moral values at the helm of gender-based violence and femicide issues. Our nation has observed a strategy of events such as the recent gang rape of eight sisters by more than 80 illegal foreign nationals. 80 illegal foreign nationals called Amazamazama. This is mainly a reflection of a deep problem for our criminal justice system and how it must protect women in all vulnerable groups from the manifestation of patriarchy in society from all forms of violence. Honorable Chair, allow me to make a clear call against the siege of gender-based violence and former in society. It is obvious that at this stage that the radical approach to uprooting a gender-based violence is every social structure in society is a non table. We owe it to the women and other marginalized groups such as the LGBTQ plus community to take a firm stance against the rolling out of violence in our communities and restore dignity in our women. It is unacceptable that South Africa with such an inroad it has made towards building a nation building occurred on principles of equality, freedom. It's also the same place where women live in fear of their lives and, and men in, society, in society. Our society has created an environment that women can no longer move freely in their communities. As a developing country, we need to work hard to make sure that we root out poverty. This implies that the experience of poverty, not only as a material deprivation, but also as a marginalization, which indicates that people experiencing poverty frequently have no opportunities to influence the economy, politics, and social processes that control their lives against poverty. That status quo must stop. Honorable Speaker, one of the strategies objective of the National Democratic Revolution is to build a non-sexy society. A national democratic society cannot be built solemnly by the ANC government, but all partners, including the ones on the left, who must work together to make sure that we fight and make sure we improve the livelihoods of our women. In the words of a revolutionary, Thomas Sankara, I open quote, there is no true social revolution without the liberation of women. May my eyes never see and my feet never take me to a society where half of the, half of the people are held in silence. I, I hear the roar of women in silence. I sense the rebel of their stone and the feeling of fraud of, the, of their revolts. Close quotes. Thomas Sankara. The liberation of society will never be complete without emancipation of women and power of women. Through the National uh, Strategic Plan 
on gender-based violence and homicides. Our government has collaborated with civil society in building South Africa free from gender-based violence and homicides. Due to the lack of trust between women and authorities, many cases of gender-based violence are not reported. In reality, less than 47% of those noted are on court, 45% of those get withdrawn from courts, 5% are settled, and less than 20% are convicted. More must be done. Given such realities, the call to combine gender-based violence and homicide should not be seen as an abstract concept by the reflection of our life experience in our, in our daily struggle. The criminal justice system has strengthened the intent of sexual act offense and related matters amendment act. And the criminal and related amendments act and those acts improve the protection of children and vulnerable persons. Given the complaints of the rights to make representation on specific parole issues, women should speak out. The sentences of Ntutuko Shoba to the life imprisonment for planning of the killing of Tofa Topule's murder, who was eight months pregnant at the time of his, of his killing. The, the, the justice system has sentenced him to life imprisonment. It is critical that it is critical that we teach the boy child to respect women to understand the the, the equality with girls through the values we guide them at home, schools, churches, and cultural practices. Culture is not a stake that can evolve, which will change the mental conditions. It must reflect the role of culture. Honorable Speaker, it is also important that we call out Uh, hatred behavior of some pursued revolutionaries who in the past history have seen them eating sushi on top of women Honorable Malachi. We might not forget such behavior because it was degrading on women to see men going to eat sushi on top of women. Now, when we fight for these women, we must honor them and make sure it never happens again in our lifetime. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, But I... Honorable Malachi... Thank you very much, but I need to make you aware that I'm still the house chair, although I am dreaming of, of, of coming a speaker one day, but I'm still a uh, house chair. <laughs> Honorable members, thank you very much. That concludes the debate and the business for the day, and the house is adjourned. Thank you. Malachi must respect Malibongwe. the...